Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Character and Smallman podcast powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone. Happy Monday. Great to have you with us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. Great to have you with us. Good morning, Michelle. How was your weekend? It was great, Randy. How was yours? Terrific. Cardinals win two of three. They actually picked up a game on the Brewers yesterday. That was fun. We got some new players to talk about. Going to talk about those with John Mosellock later in the show. So, yeah, all is well. All is well. I look forward to talking to Mo at 9.30 this morning. Yeah, and the Cardinals, hey, they won two out of three. Here they are on a roll. They're winning two out of every three games. Unfortunately for them, Milwaukee isn't really cooperating here. But we still have um, a pretty good chunk of baseball left to play, including a lot of games versus Milwaukee. That's the key. Milwaukee, since they got Willie Adamas on May 21st, they're 41-20. and They had won four in a row before losing yesterday, and their overall record this year, 62-43. and 43. They are pretty darn good, but your Cardinals come away with a 7-3 win over the Twins yesterday at the ballpark, and uh, the, the Cardinals playing reasonably. You know, Michelle, I was thinking about this. If you throw out June, Cardinals would be pretty good. Yes, they would, but the problem is <laughs> June, June existed. June counts. <laughs> they really put themselves in such a hole with their play in the month of yeah. June. And, you know, losing Jack Flaherty, losing Miles Michaelis, that's going to obviously take a major hit on the production of your team. But just what happened to them offensively, not being able to self-correct when you lose someone like Jack Flaherty is mm-hmm. what really killed them. And it stinks because had that not happened, had they been able to at least play 500 yep. during that time, I think the Cardinals would have approached the trade de- deadline with a more aggressive mindset. I think that they would be in a much better place to really make a run at this and be a playoff team. But it They have to be almost perfect for that to happen, and that's really unrealistic. Agreed 100%. Meanwhile, yesterday, the Cardinals did come away with a 7-3 victory second inning after the Twins had already taken the lead by scoring two against Adam Wainwright. Nolan Arenado did what Nolan Arenado does. Cannot take for granted. Pineda puts it in play. Arenado to second. Oh, my goodness. An incredible double play started by Nolan Arenado. Are you used to this yet? Do you take this for granted yet? Not yet. I know that a lot of people tweet Nolan being Nolan because Mm -hmm. he does it so frequently that it's kind of a shoulder shrug. But it's still his first full season with the Cardinals, and I have not taken it for granted yet. He is sensational. He's amazing. Cardinals scored two in the third right after that, one in the fourth to take the lead, and they had expanded their advantage when Edmundo Sosa came up in the eighth. And Sosa on the first pitch, a high fly ball into deep right center. 
Edmundo Sosa. The first pitch in the bottom of the eighth. Some insurance for the Cardinals. Sosa, his third home run, and it's 6-3. Cardinals won at 7-3. Ho-hum, Adam Wainwright, seven <laughs> innings. He allows three runs, five hits, uh, six hits, struck out five, and walked only one. And what a what a savior. How can you allow, even if he wants to not pitch anymore, if you're the Cardinals, how can you allow Adam Wainwright to walk away when he's the only guy that gives you innings? You can't. Anytime I watch him pitch, Randy, I think he's got to come back next season. And I think yesterday was a great microcosm of Adam Wainwright as a whole because not only does he go out there, give the Cardinals a great start, put them in the position to win, so in real time, he's doing exactly what you would ask of any pitcher on the team. But by beating the Twins, he has beaten 26 major league clubs during his career. So yesterday just really showcased to me the longevity of someone like Adam Wainwright, but also how crucial he is during this season as well. Yeah, he's remarkable. Also yesterday, Yadier Molina with a couple of hits. He went two for four. He now has 2,074 hits on his career. That's more Cardinal hits than Albert Pujols had. Who would have thought? I would have never dreamed that when Albert left that Yachty would catch up to him in the number of hits that he had as a member of the Cardinals. Well, I never thought that Yachty would outlast Albert as a member of the Cardinals. Who would have thunk? I thought Albert would be here until he chose to retire. And Adam Wainwright has seen every single one of those Yachty hits since uh, since Adam arrived in 2005. Yeah, and I just checked the the box score. Albert had a bases clearing double today. Uh, where he's doing, he's still hitting the ball pretty well himself. But I know that Yadier is going to take a picture of that. Yadier passes Albert thing and send it to to Albert. I think he has to. Um, but all right, two things. That's a lot of hits. That's a great accomplishment, and uh, pretty impressive that Albert had that many hits in 11 seasons. I mean, uh, really, really impressive. He's one of the greatest hitters of all time. I was glad I got to play with him for as long as I did, and playing with another guy who's probably one of the top three or four catchers of all time. Um, so been I've been blessed to play with these guys, but that's a great accomplishment for Yachty, for sure. Yeah, not many catchers have been able to do what he's done. He also played, he started his 2,000th game behind the plate. Incredible. Yeah. What both of these guys are doing is just incredible. But think about what Adam Wainwright just said there. How remarkable is it that Albert Pujols was able to acquire or collect that many hits in that amount of time? Yeah, and Yachty's been here for 18. 18 years, yeah. Meanwhile, the Brewers, as we mentioned, lost yesterday, so the Cardinals get back within nine and a half. The Reds are seven behind in the division, and the Cubs, who had an unbelievable systematic tearing down in a 24-hour period between Thursday and Friday, uh, they're now 12 and a half behind. I've never seen a team do what they did as quickly. Now, over the course of maybe a couple of weeks, a month, the Marlins did it a couple of times, but Within 24 hours to get rid of Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, Williams, and uh, Craig Kimbrell. Pretty phenomenal what uh, Jed Hoyer was able to do. And I feel bad for Cub fans who saw all of that dissipate so quickly. But what a job by Hoyer in the space of 24 hours. You talk about ripping off the Band-Aid. They did it. Saw all of their star players leave Chicago and then Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant all mashing home runs in their debuts for their new team. So rough weekend if you're a Cubs fan. But even when the Cubs had that surge earlier in the season, 
I kept saying, it doesn't matter what they do. This seems to be the post-Theo Epstein plan to tear it all down and rebuild it again. And I feel even worse for Cubs fans. I know we're not supposed to, but because the team gave them hope this season that maybe some of those guys would stay or that the team might want to keep some of them because of the fact that they were winning earlier in the year. But this was the plan. So if I keep thinking about the Cubs and if the trade deadline was a success for them, because when you get rid of really good players, how could it be considered a success? But I guess if this was the game plan going in, you executed the way that you needed to. So it's successful in that manner. But your team's now far worse than it was, and it's going to be far worse for quite some time. And there's little likelihood of anybody that they got back in exchange for those three, four stars. There's little likelihood of any of those players singularly being as good as anybody that walked out the door. Baez, Kimbrell, Bryant, Rizzo. If one guy of those four winds up being as good as the guys that they traded away, then it was a success. But that's really tough to do because those three guys were really good. You can text us 65780. How will uh, the best listeners in sports, the BLIS, how will you remember the Lane Thomas era with the Cardinals? He's now a member of the Nationals after hitting 104 for the Redbirds this year. 172 for his career with a 625 OPS. Guy with a lot of potential. A guy guy that got talked about a lot here in St. Louis as somebody who we thought... uh, might at some point turn into a good player. Just never really came together for him here. Aren't we used to that, though? Aren't yeah. we conditioned for that as Cardinals fans? Well, only yeah. if he goes somewhere and hits 320 for a while. So brace for that. Yeah. But how many guys have been in that conversation over the past few years that had a lot of potential, big ceiling? Well, if only he could get some playing time. We'll see him at some point, and then he goes somewhere else. How weird is it to see John Lester wearing Cardinal red? I'm not used to that one yet. It's going to take me a minute. And he'll start for the Cardinals tomorrow against the Braves. Uh, Max Freed will pitch for Atlanta against John Lester. The Cardinals with another move on Friday, acquiring Jay Happ, another really old left-hander. And he arrives on the scene in exchange for John Gant, who, by the way, was typical yesterday. He hit a guy, and uh, his control was not stellar. Another really old guy, Randy? You just threw it out there? Yeah. Well, He's 38. Uh, Wade LeBlanc is 33, and he's the Cardinals' youngest starter by two years. Or no, KK is. LeBlanc is 37, too. But LeBlanc is younger than Wayno, Lester, and uh, Hap. We were concerned heading into the season about Adam Wainwright's age, and then here, here's the rotation. <laughs> <Hold my beer. laughs> here's the rotation, just becoming his peers, all of his peers. Pretty amazing. And So it was amazing trade deadline. We'll talk about that as we go along during the course of the day. And congratulations to uh, Jade. Well, let's put it this way. If if you're into the uh, Olympics and you're going to be watching later in primetime, earmuffs a little bit. And uh, congratulations to Jade Carey winning gold. That's right. In the floor. USA. 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 Uh, She was great. The soccer, the women's soccer team, the unbelievable women's soccer team upset by Canada this morning, one to nothing, and they'll play for the bronze. Yeah, that was very heartbreaking that the U.S. women's soccer team, who's just been dominant for many years, is losing that game to Canada. And Simone Biles will be back for the balance beam final. Which is great news. So happy that we're going to get to see her compete. I, I wonder if she, you know, obviously after working through everything that she's had to work through over the course of the last week, she thought, I made a trip to Tokyo. I came halfway across the world here. I'm feeling okay. Why not go for it? And she really is the best that the U.S. has to offer in the beam. Yeah, I don't know what went through that process for her, but I'm glad to see that she's feeling well enough to go because 
over the past few days there every event it seemed like came up and there was speculation will simone go will she go and she withdrew from everything so the fact that she's competing in anything at all i think is awesome and the usa at the moment with 61 total medals that is more than the rest of the world coming up on 101 espn with michelle and randy we've got start one Bench one, cut one. That is coming your way. And we want your text 65780 on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it is time for start one, bench one, cut one. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle, we are going to do a Cubs World Champions that were traded last week edition, okay? Start one, bench one, cut one. Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo. That is literally what I had written down as mine. So I love this. (laughs) Okay, so I am going to start Bryant the Giant. I think I'm going to bench Rizzo the Yankee and cut Javi Baez the Met. All right, I am actually going to start Anthony Rizzo. I am going to bench Bryant, and I am going to cut Javi Baez. So we're close to the same page here. But, yeah, Anthony Rizzo, he's, he's such a tough hitter. And uh, he, he he elicits 15 pitch at-bats and then hits home runs off of you. He looked really good in that Yankees uniform. He, he looks like he belonged. He needs a better number than 48, but, yeah, he does. I knew there would be for, some for, number you were yeah, upset by. 44 is uh, is retired there for Reggie, but 48 just is not Anthony Rizzo's number. Did you see his debut home run as yeah. a Yankee? 449, he crushed it. Yeah. And also Cubs fans' hearts. Yeah, they're, they're stepped on over the course of the weekend. So when Albert Pujols left, mm-hmm. obviously Cardinals fans were heartbroken because he chose to leave. Do you think this is worse for Cubs fans mm-hmm. because it's all of their stars and they had no control over it? Because I was thinking about that. At least with Albert, fans could be angry at him because he chose to leave so they could channel their their energy and their hurt feelings towards someone. I think a lot of that has dissipated over the years. But these guys didn't want to leave Chicago. It right. was heartbreaking for Cubs fans to watch Anthony Rizzo taking photos in the Ivy and Chris Bryant staring out at Wrigley Field. It was just very sad all the way around. And when you look at what those three guys brought, that's another thing. We just we we'd won World Series in '82. Those guys brought something to uh, Cubs fans that none, nobody alive had ever seen before. And apparently all of the offers were, from a sports perspective, insulting that the Cubs made to them. So everything about this for Cubs fans is horrible. Didn't Brian get offered over 200 mil? Yeah, he turned that one down. But then apparently the latest offer was not quite there. But the 200 mil, yeah, should not have turned that down. That one was not insulting. No. Um, Okay, Randy, I'm going to go beverages on a hot day edition. Okay, got it. Iced tea, lemonade, Gatorade. Start one, bench one, cut one. Okay, the regular for me is Gatorade. I don't like iced tea, so that gets cut. So lemonade is benched. So Gatorade starts. Wow. Lemonade is benched and iced tea is cut. I don't know. I think you're... I was going to put iced coffee in there, but I know you don't drink iced coffee. So I was thinking about this the other day. Few things hit like an iced tea does on a hot day. Mm. With a little lemon in there, a lot of ice. Wouldn't know it. I think I'm going. I think I'm starting iced tea. I'm benching lemonade and I'm cutting Gatorade. Now, here's the 
thing. Let's boil this down a little bit. If I'm on the golf course, I'm getting Gatorade. If I'm sitting at a restaurant on a patio outside, I'm more likely to get a lemonade than a Gatorade. Like, I'll never order a Gatorade at a restaurant. But it depends on what I'm doing is what my point is here. Can you imagine if you went to a restaurant and you you asked for, hey, can I get a lemon-lime Gatorade? (laughs) Do you guys have Glacier Blue back there? Yeah. Text in if you know anybody that does. 65780. (laughs) All right. Emily, what do you got for us? From the 217, start one, bench one, cut one. John Lester, Jay Happ, Wade LeBlanc. Ooh, this is good. I like this. Okay, I'm going to, because of what we've seen, what he's done as a Cardinal, I'm starting Wade LeBlanc. Okay. Because he's what of what he's done to the Cardinals, I'm going to bench Lester, and that means uh, reluctantly I'm going to have to cut Jay Happ. I think I'm doing the exact same thing. Um, I definitely am starting LeBlanc because he's been with the Cardinals longer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bench Lester just because of what we've seen of him over the years and because I like his attitude. And I'll have to cut Jay Happ. No disrespect, Jay. Yep. Lester's best friend, John Lackey. Crusty old veteran. Yep. That's Love what, it. We need some crust in there. A little sandpaper. Yep. From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one. Cooperstown, Canton, Smithsonian. Oh, this is good. Okay, I am Michelle... The Smithsonian is so cool. It is. I really hate the idea of cutting it, but it's not a sports thing. But you've got the Air and Space Museum. You've got the National Portrait Gallery. You've got so many different things at the Smithsonian, but i got to cut it. So (laughs) I am going to start Cooperstown. I am going to bench Canton. And, man, I... It's really tough. Uh, okay, I will I will do it. I will cut the Smithsonian. Wow. So I'm going to start Cooperstown. Never been. Would love to go. Awesome. Would love to go. I am going to bench the Smithsonian, and I'm cutting Canton. Nothing wrong with that play. Not, ex- nothing at all. As excited as I am for us to go to Canton this week, Randy, and I've never been, so it's going to be an incredible experience, and I'm so honored that we get to be there to watch Isaac Bruce get inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's going to be our last positive moment with the NFL. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of two if Tory gets in. So after this week, or potentially when Tory gets in, I would have no reason to go there or to celebrate the NFL. So that's why Canton's getting the cut for me. Okay, good. From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one. NCAA basketball tournament, CFB playoff, Little League World Series. Oh, I easily cut the Little League World Series. Easy. I'm going to start the college football playoff and bench the tournament. I'm starting the tournament, I'm benching the college football playoff, and I'm cutting Little League World Series. As much as I love the playoff, it's basically the same teams every year. We're locked into it. We love watching it. I think the construct of it is great. I think college football hit a home run with that. But we are far more locked into the tournament every year, and it's such a wide variety of teams. There's new teams every year that we fall in love with that are Cinderella's or that have a big upset. I mean, who who knew about Norfolk State? Right. Many years ago. Sorry, Zing. Missouri fans had to bring that Zing. up. It just came up. Or Northern or, Iowa. Or Northern or or um, Loyola Chicago. You know, that's a fun mm-hmm. team that now. Oh, so now you do a little self-deprecation. I'm just saying, you know, now, but now that's a team that is really in the hunt every year. People really look for. But years ago when Sister Jean came out, Porter Moser, that was a fun team that everybody went on the ride with. So I think that. Few things in sports are better than the tournament. Nobody takes days off, obviously, for the college football playoff or the Little League World Series. There's no doubt about that. 
But just in terms of must-see TV, watching every game start to finish, that's why I took the college football playoff. Uh, but I think the tournament, everyone has a bracket. Even it's if you a, don't yeah. love sports, you have a bracket. Tournament is awesome. Yeah. From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one, barbecue sides, baked beans, coleslaw, potato salad. Okay, baked beans, coleslaw, potato salad. Okay, so this is difficult for me because I don't know if the coleslaw is mayo-based or vinegar-based. You can make it whatever you want, Michelle. Okay, if so, I'm going vinegar-based slaw, I'm going baked beans, and I'm going potato salad. Although I will say... If you're in St. Louis, one of the best bites, one of the sneaky best bites in St. Louis is the sour cream potato salad at Straub's. Everybody loves their chicken salad. That sour cream potato salad will liven up any barbecue you go to. Mm. But in general, I think potato salad is lacking. Okay. Uh, We all know the story about BT with a minor league teammate that they nicknamed coleslaw. Yes. Why? Eh, Because nobody really likes coleslaw. Nobody loves it. (laughs) It's an incredible story. Yeah. I am going to, Michelle, I, I am going to cut baked beans here. Wow. Bold I'm, choice. I'm starting the potato salad. I'm benching the coleslaw. And I'm not a huge fan of the mayo-based coleslaw either. So I'm counting on this being real coleslaw. Right. And then, yeah, the baked beans can, uh, like, that, that's another thing that, when I go to a barbecue restaurant, I never order the baked beans. You don't? Even never. if you know they have brown sugar in them? Never. Little bacon bits in there? Yeah. Nope. Oh. Doesn't happen. You need to but live, Randy. I, I do order po- potato salad, and just recently, I had coleslaw. So, I don't remember. Within the last week, I've had coleslaw at a restaurant, but not baked beans. Okay. That's wild. Wild to me. What, the, that I benched the baked beans or that I Absolutely. took the coleslaw? Both. Yeah, you let I'm off shook. saying that coleslaw is a nickname of someone that doesn't isn't light. I know. So you really threw me for a loop there that you ended up choosing coleslaw. I thought for sure I, you were cutting coleslaw with that lead. See, in. that's what you'd think because that was a Brad Barnes thing. I was trying to fool you. I you threw did. you off a little bit. You there. totally threw me off. And I don't hate baked beans, but I never order them. <laughs> I don't hate them. I just don't like. Like them. if you if if I were. Given three sides, baked beans would have a chance. But I only get two. Got okay. it. From the 573, start one, bench one, cut one. The University of Oklahoma Dynasty. The University of Miami Dynasty. Mm. The University of Alabama Dynasty. Oh, I think this is fairly easy, don't you? Okay. Are we doing uh, like the Oklahoma 47th Street Wins Dynasty under Bud Wilkinson in the 60s? pretty good dynasty. Or are we doing the Barry Switzer dynasty where he won three championships? Because they've had two dynasties there. Alabama's had two dynasties as well. I, yeah. I would assume we're talking most recent. I'm assuming that too. Okay, so let's go with the most recent dynasty for each, okay? Yes. I, I'm just going to do this on my own personal enjoyment. I'm not doing it on the quality of the teams. I'm doing it on my own personal enjoyment. I'm starting Miami. Oh, love that. I am benching Alabama and I am cutting Oklahoma. So I'm going to start Nick Saban's Alabama mm-hmm. because I don't think we're going to see anything like that after he's done. Even with Dabo and Clemson, I just think his run of dominance is incredible. I'm benching the University of Miami 
those teams were so fun and they mm-hmm. were so good. The NFL talent that was on those teams and, and just the swag and personality that they had. Luther Campbell, Nevin Shapiro, all the stuff they had going on around it. So Miami. So great. Yep. And their beef with Notre Dame, Catholics oh, versus convicts. So great. fun. And um, Who are you rooting for? Catholics or convicts in that one? That's really tough. Um, so I grew up loving Notre Dame. Uh-huh. And was Catholic, so I think probably back in the day, Notre Dame. But now, as a well, now I still love Notre Dame. I very much mm-hmm. cheer for Notre Dame. Still have have some friends within the program. Uh, so go Irish. But it's hard to to root against Miami because they're so fun mm-hmm. and it's anti-establishment and. You know, I just think that they have so much personality that it's fun to cheer for Miami. On that Saturday afternoon, I was rooting for the convicts. There, I, I'll, I won't lie. I was rooting for the convicts that day because they were such a fun, talented, swag-laden team. They, they knew they were going to win. They went and jumped on logos. They celebrated. They, they were a cool team to root for. Turnover chain. Yeah. I mean, they started it there, right? Yep. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, Cardinals take two of three. How do we feel about the Cardinals as they head down the stretch after acquiring Lester and Hap? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals made a couple of moves at the trade deadline on Friday. First, they sent John Gant to the Twins across the hall, essentially, (laughs) for Jay Happ, the 37-year-old left-hander who's been around and had a level of success in Major League Baseball. And then moments later, they wound up trading Lane Thomas to the Washington Nationals and got Cardinal nemesis John Lester, who was a nemesis when he was a member of the Red Sox in the 2013 World Series, and then obviously as a member of the Twins as well. Yeah, it's going to take a while, I think, for Cardinals fans to get used to seeing John Lester wearing the birds on the bat. Yeah, and he has been really good. Obviously, these last two years, he has not been really good and says that he's trying to figure things out as he goes along, trying to adapt. And he said sometimes that adaptation does not go particularly well. For John Mozalock, though, who's going to join us at 930 this morning, did these moves make the Cardinals much better? No, I hope it um, makes us better, first off. Um, secondly, I think it also allows some someone like an Oviedo to continue to develop and not do it at, at a major league level or in that pressure cooker and allow him to grow at a more natural pace. So I think it takes a little pressure off others. It, it allows us, I think, to, again, when you look at, at putting a, a major league team on the field, sometimes it's nice to know you're running someone out there that's been there and done that. And I, I think now we see that. Michelle, looking at this in a rational way, and part of being a sports fan many times is being irrational, right? That's what makes it fun. Yeah. But if you look at it in a rational way, the what he just described, keeping Johan Oviedo out of the majors, protecting Jack Flaherty so mm-hmm. that when you bring Flaherty back, you don't have to have him throw pitches or innings that he's not capable of throwing. And by the way, yesterday he got up to, uh, I believe, the 60s in his start for Memphis. So he's slowly but surely coming back. The Cardinals do have an investment in Michaelis, so they want to protect those innings. And These are moves that enhance the depth of the starting rotation. Are these moves that are made so that the Cardinals in their last 
58 games can win 48 of them? No. These are moves that are made to protect young players so that the Cardinals have players available for 2022. If you think these moves, John Mosellek said, you know what, we're going to go out, and he's not going to say this, okay? He's the, the president of baseball operations of a team that still wants to sell tickets, still wants eyeballs on their team. And for those people that are blindly in thinking that the Cardinals are going to be able to come back, they can think what they want. But the reality of the situation is, is that these were moves that were made with the idea of 2022 being a healthier year for the Cardinals. Yeah, you have to take a realistic look at where your ball club is. And right now they're nine and a half games back in the division, six and a half out in the wild card. Do you really want to mortgage your future for a team that's likely not going to make the playoffs. They would have to win almost every single game from now until the the end of the season for them to make it Mm -hmm. to the playoffs. And that's unrealistic. They look like a much improved team and they're far more entertaining to watch right now. But I don't think that this is a team that you push all the chips in on when they might not even make the playoffs. I think that this was a measured move. You want to get some innings, protect your future, not only by retaining your your prospects and retaining guys in your system, but to protect someone like Jack Flaherty or Johan Oviedo. It's the move that the Cardinals needed to make, not the move that you wanted the Cardinals to make. And I know there's people that say, well, the Cardinals should have made these moves or moves on June 1st. Well, the Mets needed pitching. They've lost DeGrom and Syndergaard and Carrasco. The Yankees needed pitching. They didn't get the return of Luis Severino like they expected. The Yankees have gone through most of the season essentially with one starting pitcher, with Garrett Cole. Uh, there were other teams that needed starting pitching. Obviously, even the the, the Dodgers, they went out and got one. They, they lost Bauer and Kershaw a month ago. The first starting pitcher that was traded was traded a, a little over a week ago was Rich Hill. Not one single starting pitcher was traded until late July. So to think that the Cardinals were going to be more aggressive, maybe they could have gone out and gotten one of these guys for Gorman and or Libertor. But would you like that deal? I don't think so. That's not the way baseball was working this season. Also, yes, it would be lovely for for the Cardinals to go out and make the move like the Dodgers did to acquire Scherzer and Trey Turner, both needs that they have. But the Dodgers are in a position where they could legitimately contend for a World Series yep. this year, and they have the capital to go out and make a move like that to again, try to capitalize on the team that they have while this window is open. And I think that the Cardinals are in a better position if they go for it next year. But I think fans are sick of hearing that. Well, next year they're going to gear up. They're sick of it. Sick of it. But every year it seems like we have this conversation. Are the Cardinals Mm. all in? Are the Cardinals going to be active at the deadline? Whether are the Cardinals going to make a push in the second half? I think fans are frustrated because they want the Cardinals to be in the conversation of a World Series contender. And it hasn't felt like that in a while. And little bit of info for you. We can take this as we want, but I'm, I'm taking it as fact because I feel like I got it from a pretty good source. It was Mrs. Scherzer that issued the West Coast only edict. She was she said, let's reject any trade and go into free agency if if St. Louis tries to get us. They weren't coming to St. Louis. They were going to a West Coast team. That's where they want to sign. They have three kids, four dogs, and they didn't want to move all over the country a couple of times. They didn't feel like St. Louis was going to be their end point. So Mrs. Scherzer said, 
I'm not going to move all over the country for baseball. We, we've done that already. So it's my understanding that it was West Coast or Washington for the Scherzers at this trade deadline. Well, also, if you're Max Scherzer, why wouldn't you want to go to a place where yeah. it looks like you have a chance to win a World Series? And the three National League West Coast teams have great chances, right? Exactly. So Jay Happ comes over. He spent a lot of time. Uh, he's been with the Pirates and the Yankees and the Twins, obviously, several other organizations, the Blue Jays. Now he's a member of the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I kind of look at it hopefully as a fresh start um, in, uh, you know, hopefully just kind of, you know, I've been in this situation. I've come over at the deadline to a couple other teams uh, in my career, and um, it's always, you know, fun to, you know, potentially still be in the race and the hunt and um, coming to a great baseball city, too. So that's something that I've always admired from afar to, you know, the Cardinals fans and the city of St. Louis. So, you know, hopefully I can just, you know, bring some, some leadership and and hopefully, um, you know, more than anything, um, some results, hopefully. Michelle, 15 years, Philadelphia, Houston, Toronto, Seattle, Pittsburgh, Toronto again, the Yankees, Minnesota, and now St. Louis. He's got experience. Been moving around. Yeah, he does. He had, He's got experience. Yep. 128 and 98 for his career, only 5 and 6 with a 6.77 this year. So the Cardinals have a couple of new left-handers, and one of them will start for them tomorrow against Atlanta. So overall, even though you aren't thrilled because you would have loved the Cardinals to have been in better position at the All-Star break to make a move, the fact of the matter is they weren't. So now, from what I see... They're gearing up for next year, and we can hate the fact that they aren't really going hard for it this year, but again, the prospect cost to go for it this year probably precludes the Cardinals going for it long-term after this year. I really think last year was this year, but the Cardinals in 60 games didn't have an opportunity to evaluate what they wanted to evaluate in 2020. No, and after you had the COVID issues and players that you didn't get to see or players that were affected by that last year became this year. Everything got everything in the world yep. got moved back a year and it, the Cardinals were not excluded from that. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got a little edition of Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line to Carriker and Smallman, Michelle and Randy, with you. Michelle, you like going to the dentist, right? I actually do. Yes, I, I, was I love going to the dentist. Yeah. Did you see that Odell Beckham Jr. went to the dentist? I didn't. Fill me so in. So he went to a celeb dentist, Doctor Thomas Connolly, to get some natural porcelain veneers done. Okay. He spent one point eight million dollars on teeth that are loaded with diamonds. OBJ's new teeth have an iced out cross on his fang, and the back of his teeth on both sides are infused with gems to the tune, by the way, 13 carat diamonds, because he's number 13, Mm. to the tune of $1.8 million in his mouth. Take it or leave it. Good investment. I'm going to leave it. Uh, You won't be eating any apples in your future. No. uh, You lose the diamonds, right? That's right. You don't want to chip out. What did you say? A cross on his fang? He got a cross on the f- fang, yeah, yep, and the- then he's got, uh, on the back of his teeth, he's got diamonds. Diamond-encrusted teeth. So why are you getting them on the back? No one's going to see those. That's a great question. That's why I was wondering if it was a good investment. I don't think it's a good investment, Randy. I don't. I never really understood that because you have to be so cautious when you eat. 
and you eat multiple times a yeah. day. There's inevitably going to be a time, maybe you have a few cocktails, and you're not thinking of the diamond cross on your fang. Right. And you go ahead and you bite into a tough piece of steak, and boom, Ooh, yeah. there's a gem right there in your mashed potatoes. <laughs> but you, hopefully you see it. That's right. Yeah. I just think it's... it's uh, like the chances of you losing a diamond from your teeth and not realizing it is high. Yeah, it, it's an interesting idea, but I don't think it's a smart idea. $1.8 million in his mouth of 13 carat diamonds. I wonder why he didn't just get a grill that he can pop in and out. That's what I was wondering. His front teeth look gorgeous, by the way. Do they? Yeah, but I, I have no idea why he just wouldn't go with a grill. Hmm. Yeah, because at least with the grill, you could take it out if need be. Yeah. By the way, Connolly, the dentist, has also made uh, icy teeth for Post Malone and Chris Brown. Nice. So, good for OBJ. Oh, you need to play football, too. He better make sure that his mouth guard is super protective. What if what happened to Dan Deardorff happens to him when Dan got punched by Matt Blair and broke his jaw? What if what happened to Dwayne Haskins happens to him? Yeah, right. Somebody hit you, you get some teeth knocked out. Not great. Not great, no. Okay, Randy, so let's go back to the trade deadline. A lot of big names moved during that time. You know who didn't get moved is Trevor Story. Ooh, yeah. Trevor Story. So there was an article in the Denver Post about this. Trevor Story said this about the Rockies and not getting moved from Denver. Quote, I'm confused and I don't have really anything good to say about the situation and how it unfolded. End quote. Take it or leave it. The Rockies are the worst run organization in sports. I will take that they're the worst run organization in baseball. By the way, the Knicks are okay now, right? That's right. Because I thought of them too. But think about the talent that they've had there. They can't get it done. And they find a way to make their talent mad and publicly talk about how they want to leave. Okay. They've had good players there that all want to get out. That's a good point. So it's not that they're just inept and they can't build because they can't build but they've had talent there they just not only can't get it done but they make guys like nolan arenado and trevor story publicly begging to get out of there i guess i gotta take it because it's a great point i will take that rockies worst run organization in all the sports it's pretty bad and you can't point the finger at jeff breidich anymore because he's out right so charlie monfort you're on the clock we're looking at you bud yeah Also, you'd think that maybe the Cardinals would try to take advantage of that. I'm sure that they made a phone call. I wonder if the Rockies entertained that or if they just got such a public lashing after the Arenado deal that they don't even pick up Mosaic's calls. The Rockies beat writer from MLB.com tweeted on Friday that there were two teams in the race for Story, and the Cardinals were one of them. I saw that, and I wondered if they got Story too. Can you imagine? Yeah, there's already I mean, a lot of Cardinal fans us, in the but... in the Rockies, but there would be even more. All right, your text 65780. Emily, what do you got? From the 314, take it or leave it. I'm just saying, the Cardinals were down 10 games in August when they won the World Series. With the Cardinals down nine nine and a half games, you're still saying there's a chance. Well, <sighs> there's always a chance. That team, fortunately for them, had Chris Carpenter and Albert Pujols That's and right. made the trade to rebuild their bullpen. This team has John Lester and Jay Happ as their newcomers. Nothing against John Lester and Jay Happ. Swell guys, I'm sure. But the fact of the matter is, when you're able to go out and you're, you're trying to come back from ten and a half back, 
And you can throw Carpenter and Kyle Loesch, who went 14-8 and eight that year. You got Edwin Jackson in a trade. Westbrook was giving you good innings. And then you threw to a dynamic bullpen. And you had a lineup that included Albert, Holiday, Freeze, uh, Lance Berkman. John Jay was playing well at the time. Yachty had a good year. Everything about that team, well, they were a world champion. Everything about that team was better than this team. Also, they were down to their last strike twice. Yeah, they were. I mean, let's not pretend that this wasn't like winning the lottery. Mm-hmm. Every single thing had to go right for them down the stretch yeah. and in the and in the playoffs and in the World Series. That's so. it's literally like hitting the lottery. You don't really get to do that multiple times in your life. And I don't I understand that we want to look at that because it's our most recent Example of the Cardinals winning the World Series, but the likelihood of that happening again is very small. Right. The other thing, comparing these two teams, Michelle, is that that team had a great bench. Obviously, when you got rid of Rasmus, you put Jay in center field, but you had Descalso, you had Alan Craig, you had Nick Punto, you had Gerald Laird. And we'll ask Mo, because I do think that that's one thing, one area that the Cardinals need to upgrade significantly. This team's bench is really deficient. To put it kindly. From the 314, take it or leave it. You'll like this one, Randy. The Rams will win the Super Bowl in three or less years. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to uh, say that Aaron Donald never wins a Super Bowl. Which is sad. Sad sad for him. Maybe he'll go somewhere at the tail end of his career. That might be. Matthew Stafford, has he won a playoff game? Don't think he has. No, he hasn't. Confirmed. Yeah. Uh, I, I... they lose their running back. The The boy genius is not a genius anymore. And they're in a really tough division. It's going to be tough to make the playoffs for them. I think they're kind of overrated. But the boy genius now has Matthew Stafford, who's got the arm. And he's he's got a lot more talent than Jared Goff. And he can really so, do a lot of things with him, Randy, that he couldn't do prior with Jared Goff. He's not limited. One time, the football Cardinals, with Gene Stallings at the helm, acquired a backup quarterback by the name of Scott Bruner from the Giants. And I'm watching him practice and saying, wow, this is impressive. Guy can wing it. He's got a good arm. And the Cardinals had drafted a quarterback out of Texas by the name of Rick McIver a couple of years earlier. And he had been cut in Gene Stallings' first camp. So Bruner gets there after his first practice, and I said to Stallings, man, he looks like he has a pretty good arm. And Stallings said, Rick McIver has a good arm, but he couldn't play a lick. So that was the point. Matthew Stafford has a great arm. He's a tough guy. Yeah, very tough. But I don't know if he can win big games. He might be in the position, though, to show that he can. Yeah, he might. Which he was with Detroit a few years when Mm -hmm. Jim Caldwell was leading them to the playoffs. Then it kind of fell apart. That's Detroit, though. Yeah, I don't think that... uh, I, I don't think in the next three years the Rams will be better than the Chiefs. I don't either. Also, though, Detroit in the conversation for worst-run franchises in sports. They're right there. They're right there. This one from Chris. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals will sign a big-name free agent. I'm going to leave that. They might sign a medium-name free agent, but I would be surprised if they would sign a big-name free agent. When you say medium-name free agent, do you think pitcher? Do you think position player? I believe... Well, when you look at free agency this year, there really aren't many big-name pitchers out there. The biggest names are Scherzer and Greinke. Mm-hmm. But I could see them signing a stable starting pitcher. But are they going to sign one of the shortstops? Are they going to sign 
Correa, Story, Seeger, Baez. I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't either, even though it would be great. Yeah. And Seeger might be available. You never know with the, the with Trey Turner in LA now. But is Seeger he, he's really good, but is he the difference maker for this team? He's a left-handed bat. But he's not exactly what they need. He's just another part. He doesn't make them a unit. They need a leadoff hitter. From the 636, take it or leave it. Vladimir Tarasenko will hit the ice as a member of the Blues when camp opens. I'm going to take that for fun. I'm leaving it. I know you want to take it because you think it'd be fun and the drama would be great. Love the drama. The, the drama would be unbelievable. This would be Larsa Pippen type drama. Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time. Get Bravo in here. But I don't know. I don't see it happening. I think that Army will find a way to make a move before we get to that point. Islanders, Hurricanes, Devils, one of those three, they could all use a scoring winger. But they probably all want the Blues to pay part of his salary, too. And I don't think that at this point, Army's in a hurry. Why should he be? There are no free agents left out there. He doesn't have to clear that salary cap space until the opener. So... He can take his time and wait for the best offer to come his way. Yeah, I think that they would have to absorb some of that cost to make it more palatable for a team to go out there and get him. But the more I think about the way that his teammates might feel about him coming back or the way he might act if he comes back and he's clearly unhappy to be back, why would you want to start your season like that? You have a fresh start. You have a team that has a bunch of new faces that needs to gel and find that Mm -hmm. chemistry and that identity. And this seems like it would be a total distraction and a big obstacle to overcome. And, oh, by the way, he would walk into camp based on his production Based on his production, he would walk into camp as your number three right winger, right? Because you're going to have Ushnevich and you're going to have Peron at right wing. And you're going to have Saad on left wing and probably Kairou on left wing. So if Laddie comes into camp, he comes into camp based on his last couple of years as a third line player. Not on his career, but on the last couple of years. He's he's with the Blues right now, a third line guy. That would not go over well. I don't think so either. No. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks to Michelle. And thanks to you for tuning in and texting in 65780. Next up, it was the wildest trade deadline ever in Major League Baseball. Who won? Who lost? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> one deep to right field. There it goes. See ya. His first Yankee home run, and it gives the Yankees a 1-0 lead. Lonzo at first and two out, and Baez gets one in the air yep. on the field. Winker going back, looking up, and it's out of here. Javi Baez with a two-run homer. A towering shot. His first home run is a New York Met coming in his first game for the Mets. Deep left field. It is a home run. Chris Bryant, in his first game as a Giant, has hit a home run for the Giants' first run of the day. 
8.06 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's Carriker and Smallman. And you heard from the Mets broadcast with the Javi Baez home run. You heard the Chris Bryant home run from John Miller and the Giants. And you heard from John Sterling on the Yankees broadcast with Anthony Rizzo. So the, the Yankees, Michelle, were working ahead of everybody else. They got Rizzo and Gallo on Thursday. And then Friday, all hell broke loose on trade deadline day. <laughs> yes, it did. It all was right. crazy. So let's do, uh, first of all, winners. I, I would say the Yankees getting those two hitters are winners. And clearly the Dodgers with the acquisitions, not only of the, the Nationals guys getting Trey Turner from the Nationals with Max Scherzer, but getting Danny Duffy from the Royals. The Dodgers are the winners here, right? The Dodgers, I think, are the biggest winners. I'm with you, the Yankees, too. I would also throw the Giants in the mix, Mm -hmm. who have the best record in that division. And they go out and they get Chris Bryant, who's certainly going to be a force for them. And I would say the White Sox, too, going up and getting... who did they get? They got Kimbrel and um, Cesar Hernandez. Yeah, and obviously they're a team that are, is in a position to be in the conversation as a World Series contender. So for them to go out and acquire talent like that, I put them in the winners column as well. You could argue that Craig Kimbrel is the best closer in history. You can also argue that Liam Hendricks has been the best closer in baseball in the last three years. And the White Sox now have both of those guys and a master at running a bullpen in Tony Larusa and a starting rotation that's going to put another stud in the bullpen come playoff time because they have five legit starters. Yeah, they're in a good position. So let's look at some of the others. The Braves have not given up. They went out and got Adam Duvall from the Marlins in exchange for catcher Alex Jackson. Then they got Eddie Rosario from the Indians for Panda, Pablo Sandoval. They've had to turn over the outfield twice this year in Atlanta, but I I like their moves. Adam Duvall has played well for the Braves in the past. They reacquire him. And Eddie Rosario was a really good member of the Twins, has not had the success with Cleveland that he had hoped, but I still think Atlanta has a chance in that division because of the injuries to the Mets starters. Do you think they're the most disappointing or maybe confusing team in baseball this year? Because I thought that they would be way better than they are. I appreciate them going for it, and they're not completely out of it, but heading into this season, I thought the Braves might win that division. I did too, but when you lose your number one starter in Soroka, you don't get him back. You've lost Freed for a time. You've had the same kind of issues that the Cardinals have had with the rotation. And then they've lost their outfield essentially twice. Uh, it's really hard to overcome those sorts of injuries. But they're sticking with it and hoping that they can, they can make it in the playoffs. So they have a chance. The White Sox are going to win the American League Central. They have a nine-game lead right now. They're, they've already got Eloy Jimenez back. They're getting Luis Robert back, so they're in great shape. The Brewers add to their bullpen by getting John Curtis from the Marlins and uh, Daniel Norris from the Tigers. So Milwaukee already in great shape in the division. They gave up two mid relievers to get Willie Adamas earlier in the season. Now at the deadline, they reload their bullpen like they always seem to do. Yeah, I would definitely put them in the winner's column. All right, the Mets, they don't have Jacob deGrom. They don't have Carlos Carrasco, but they do have Javier Baez and Trevor Williams. They get Williams to fill in in the rotation. And Javi, once they get Lindor back, if they get Lindor back, that's going to be the most dynamic infield, middle infield in baseball, maybe in baseball history. Yeah, that will be incredible. And I would say the Mets were winners here because they went out and they were active. And 
when the Mets decided to go for it this season, you really have no other option if you are the Mets than to go out at the deadline and try to reinforce your team and put yourself in this position. Their their window that they opened when they went out and got Lindor, you need to capitalize on that. And now it looks like DeGrom is going to be out until September, so he'll be out the rest of this month. But if Trevor Williams can give them reasonable starting pitching, uh, they should be able to to hang in. They've got a three-and-a-half game lead over Philly in the East. Atlanta is four back. I would think that they should be able to hang in. All right, let's take a look at the Blue Jays, who gave up the number 16 prospect in all of baseball in Austin Martin as part of a package to get Jose Barrios from the Minnesota Twins. The Blue Jays needed that starting pitcher. He was one of the two best available, along with Scherzer. The they're going for it this year, even though they're a super young team. And by the way, he'll be with them, Barrios, next year as well. They're really set up nicely. It feels like every team is going for it, except for mm-hmm. a few. I tweeted this. It felt like the trade deadline was this big party, and all these other teams were playing beer pong and ripping shots. And then there's teams like the Cardinals. It felt like the Cardinals were in the den drinking in old duels. You know, uh-huh. it just felt like they did the responsible thing. They didn't engage in the party. But think about how many teams decided to make a major move and go for it at the deadline. The Phillies, one of those teams, three and a half back. They get Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy from Texas, and they give up their best young pitching prospect in Spencer Howard. But they're a perfect example of of a team that's trying to go for it. The Cardinals get their guys in Lester and Happ. The Braves, by the way, in addition to Duvall and Rosario, got Jorge Soler. That'll be an adventure. Jorge Soler playing the outfield in the National League, not being able to be a DH anymore. So what they did was completely rebuilt their outfield with Soler, Duvall, and Rosario at the trade deadline. The Yankees added to their hitters list by getting Andrew Heaney from the Angels on Friday. They give up a couple of minor leaguers, and then we mentioned Chris Bryant going to the Giants, which is perfect for them because... Gabe Kapler loves to move guys around. He never has the same lineup on two back-to-back days. And he'll play Bryant at third. He'll play him at first. He'll play him in left. He'll play him in right. And Bryant will enjoy it. He'll be stimulated. And the Giants have a lot of players like that. And by the way, the Giants also have Evan Longoria hurt. Mm -hmm. They have Crawford hurt. Uh, They have Brandon Belt still hurt. So they're going to get guys back. But they need a person to fill in for those guys at each of those positions. And he can do it. Now that we've run through it, who's your big winner and who's your big loser of the trade deadline? Dodgers, to me, are the big winner because they, they were able to effectively replace Trevor Bauer with somebody who's better. <laughs> and Seager is out right now, but they can move a guy like Trey Turner around and they protect themselves in case Turner isn't back next year. So I think clearly it's the Dodgers. In terms of losers at the deadline, I would say that... Uh, the teams that traded away players did pretty well. But I think if you were going to pick one that overpaid, it's the Blue Jays giving up Austin Martin, uh, who has a chance to be a superstar quality player and getting Barrios for him. But I don't think there's a, a, a huge loser. Tampa Bay didn't do an awful lot to enhance their standing, even though they're in first in their division. You know, the Cubs are obviously in that conversation when you trade off all of the faces of of your franchise and you don't get the return that you expected. But you know who else I'm going to put in the loser conversation, Randy, is the Padres because they needed to go out there and they needed to reinforce their rotation. They were in on Barrios. They were in on Scherzer and it didn't really happen for them. And they're in a tight race. And that was a move that they needed to make to think that, that they had Scherzer right there. And it seemed like that was almost a done deal. Scherzer to the Padres only for him to end up with their main competition and their rival with the Dodgers. I 
would put the Padres in that conversation. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. And by the way, the Cardinals, they were just, nah, I don't, they aren't a winner. They aren't a loser. They're just, nah, they're, they're there. Well, based on their position and the standings, did you really expect anything differently from them? No, fi- I, I didn't. They're 53 and 52, and this should allow them the trades that they made to finish maybe with 83 wins. So while the Cardinals were at this hypothetical awesome house party that is the trade deadline and the den drinking in O'Doul's, yeah. at least they weren't the Cubs who you show up at the party with your girlfriend and she leaves with someone else. Right. And then you're crying you're definitely at the crying. end of the party. You're you're left alone crying on the front stoop. Yeah. But so the, it could the, be worse. The reason I don't look at it as a loss for the Cubs is because we knew it was going to happen. Oh, yeah. We knew Absolutely. that girl was leaving. You you knew before you went into the party yeah. that she was going home with someone else. Yeah, exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Blues Camp is just a month and a half away. How about that? Chris Kerber will join us to talk about these new-look top six on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Always good to hear from the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN, Chris Kerber. A lot of action for the Blues last week with free agency and the trades and the signings. Kerbs, it's always good to have you with us. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Randy, Michelle. How are you guys? Everything's good. So let's touch on this top six for the Blues. With the addition of Brandon Saad, let's just for a, a moment assume that Saad is going to be with O'Reilly and Perron. And then you have a second line that has maybe Robert Thomas with Shen and Bushnevich. That is an interesting top six. It's a pretty good top six. Now, now I think that for the Blues to be where they want to be, Brandon Saad probably fits in as your you know third line slash, slash second line left winger, right? Which means there's still room in that top six. Um, I think for something to eventually shake out, but if it doesn't shake out right away, then then you've got a formidable top six. And this is all assuming that ninety one that Tarasenko isn't back, you know. But which, for all intents and purposes, right now you assume he is the way things have been going. So um, I, I think the Blues have kind of set themselves up in a pretty good spot, and with, and with six million dollars in cap space still available, and they have to sign Kyrou and Thomas that are restricted free agents and. Uh, and I believe that Zach Sanford went ahead and uh, you know filed for arbitration. Mm-hmm. There's still a little work to be done, but they've also got a little room. Curbs, let's say 91 is back. Where do you picture him? What line do you picture him on? Probably same spot. I mean, I, I he'll be if he does come back and, and stuff. I, I'd expect him on on the right side on that on whoever's centering the the non O'Reilly line. I wouldn't even say second line at this point, but whether that be Shen, whether that be Thomas, I'd expect to see him there. Curbs, let's move then to the third line and the, and the third and fourth, because that was really the identity of the Blues a couple of years ago when they had Maroon, Thomas, and Bozak, and then obviously Sunquist, Barbashev, and Steen. And I think that's where work needs to be done, and I, I don't know if it's been done or not, but l- let's just assume that Barbashev and – you think Barbashev and Sunquist are on a line together and maybe you put Clem Costin with those guys? I, I think it I think it really starts to look that way, doesn't it? Where where Sunquist, uh, if healthy and ready to go, is in in the middle. Barbashev is on the other side, and uh, with, with Clem Costin. and and Clem Clem is one of those interesting guys that could he climb himself up in the lineup? We'll we'll have to wait and see. But I think it shakes out that way pretty well. Or if they do re-sign Sanford, Sanford could go in there. 
Uh, and, and then you've got a, a fourth line situation where Kyle Clifford's on there. I really like the fact that, uh, you know, I would like to see Dakota Joshua uh, maybe start on that fourth line mm-hmm. this year and, and see where he could go. I liked a lot of what we saw on a regular basis from him last year. And to me, you know, coming in, he's got the right cap hit. He's got the right price. And, and he was a really smart, effective player when he was in the lineup. So to me, I'd like to see him kind of round out that center spot on the fourth line, which gives you the chance to elevate somebody like a Barbashev or a Sunquist. Curbs, when the Blues won the Stanley Cup back in 2019, we always talked about their identity, their heavy style of play. But now that the personnel is almost completely different, what style of play do you envision this Blues team playing? I think it's going to be very similar. I don't think Craig Berube's changing. I don't think that, you know, we're going to go to, to smaller guys in speed and skill. I think there's still going to be a get the puck in, hold it along the wall. If you don't have an option, grind it out a little bit, then, then find your opportunity to the front. Um, I, I do think with somebody like, uh, you know, to, for Robert Thomas to grow, for Jordan Kyra to grow, you're going to have to, those guys are not the hold on to the puck uh, deep in the corner kind of players. And we saw some real good creativity from Jordan Kyra last year, right? So, um, I, I think there have to be a little bit of a mix there, but but to me that's why you went out and you signed Brandon Sod and, and and you made the the moves that you made, and you did that I think to be able to bring in Craig Berube type players to play that style, which as we've seen, is still a very effective and needed style to win in the playoffs. So I. I don't expect style, you know, to change all that much. Curbs, let's look at the defense then, because that's one area where the Blues have added lesser names. They haven't added a big-name guy. It seems to me that they still need, and maybe Tommy Cross is a a player, I don't know, but it it seems to me that they need some more size back there. Yeah, and that's what I think the the defense is, is one, Randy, where, again, if you go with the history of what you expect from Doug Armstrong, you know, another veteran presence is something that eventually you'd like to see. And you still see some names that are out there, but you don't have to spend, you know, the, the four million times four kind of deal to get those guys. Having said that, you've got to find some room and see if, if Nico Mikola is going to be an everyday player for mm-hmm. you, right? You, you've got to find out what Scott Perunovich can be. And last year was one where could he have, with all the injuries you had, Scott Perunovich would have had a heck of an opportunity. Unfortunately, he was one of those guys with those injuries. You also had the situation where you had your players in Utica, you know, and, and the game COVID really messed with the, the minor league system on a regular basis. So to me, now that you're, you're in Springfield, you've got things set, things are going to roll. Uh, I, I think we're going to see a, a better trajectory with development of some players and a better understanding. So whether Perunovic is here or there, to me, those are two guys that if they can really round out and fill in some spots, you could be in a really good spot. And And I'm not so sure you want to, bring somebody in to put ahead of those guys mm-hmm. too much. I think you've got to see what, what, what you have here with those guys and see if they can do, because if that, look, if that is the case to me, I, Doug Armstrong likes to, to build his team in the off season, right? We don't see too many times. Um, a couple of times we've seen it, right? Obviously with like the Ryan military, but you haven't seen too many times where Doug Armstrong's made some massive deals at the trade deadline. But at least if you have a little bit of cap space banked for that, you'd like to see maybe that possibility be there. I don't know that you have to spend right up against the eighty-one and a half million before you go in. You know, a move with Tarasenko will free some things up. We'll have to wait and see. But those 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 guys are kind of are, they're knocking on the door and can be impactful players. And man, if that can happen, then you and, and especially if if Kairou continues the trajectory he was on, and Robert Thomas takes a step forward, and I don't think he did that last year. But if he can take a step forward this year, 
you know, you're giving yourself some cap flexibility, but those young guys have to find a way to be impactful. And I think you've got to give them a chance to. Curbs, we've mentioned if Vladimir Tarasenko returns several times now. If he comes back, there's been a lot of things written and said publicly on both sides and a lot of mistrust on both sides on the Blues and Tarasenko. If he comes back, do you think that all of those feelings will be able to put aside, that that will just be business? Or do you think this is something that could linger on into the season? I guess that all depends on who looks at who in the locker room first, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> that is something that's going to happen. And I, I can't imagine it would be a very comfortable situation, but it's one that, for you know, in all honesty, it's one, frankly, that Vladimir has put himself in. Um, his agents uh, and his representation has decided to go public with a lot of stuff to try and force Doug Armstrong's hand, and it's clear that he is not a highly sought-after player. Well, yes, there are some teams still interested in him, and a deal could still happen, right? Again, as we've talked about many times, it's going to have to be, you know, at, at something that the Blues are comfortable with. And frankly, I don't, I don't, I don't want the Blues to be personally. Are you either paying him to play for you, or he goes somewhere else and they pay him to, to sit there and kind of eat up a couple million or a million and a half of cap space just for him to go play somewhere else to make him happy? I, I don't think that's that's the way that should go. And so, if Doug Armstrong holds out as long as he can to try and get somebody to take the full cap hit. You know, so, so be it. But yeah, that that could be an awkward situation. And and listen, and and to be honest with you, you know, there's been a lot coming out on the Vladimir Tarasenko side of this, right? And and I like the fact that there hasn't been a whole lot coming out on the Blues side of this. But but I this we you you've all seen him. I mean, at times an extraordinarily dynamic player that can be such a huge difference maker, right? And and you know when you're seeing Vladimir Tarasenko play with everything he's got, and when you're not. And I think it's a little too simple to say, well, he was he was banged up or his shoulder was bothering him. You know, sometimes the, the, the body language, the different things like that that you've seen, frustrated from a really skilled player, you see that a lot from highly skilled players, right? But it could bother teammates. So I, th- this isn't just a, a one-way street where one player is upset with the team and the team's like, what happened here? I mean, so while we've read a lot from the one side, we haven't heard much on the other side, and I think, you know, that's a, that, that's a smart way to do it. The, the, the team isn't airing dirty laundry in the media like Tarasenko has been doing, and, 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 and I respect that fact of it. Hey, Curbs, before we let you go, I really liked Colorado with Philip Grubauer. They lose Grubauer. He signs with Seattle, and they go give up, give up a number one for Darcy Kemper. How do you like them? And we, we love them as a team, and they're going to be really good. But how do you like them with Darcy Kemper as opposed to Philip Grubauer? Uh, I, I don't think they're as good. I mean, and, and I think not just that to me, uh, Randy, but the fact that that they lost Graves and, and made that deal with Graves before the expansion draft, right? And then mm-hmm. in the expansion draft had Donskoy taken, right? Yep. Uh, to me, to me, that that's not the same team. That was a team that you know that 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 had some really great depth there, and um, and and Kemper, I don't think is anywhere near as good as Grubauer. It was, you know. So I I think now. They're also they're planning on on Francois being able to come back and be healthy. They, they, he he was banged up and, and unable to stay healthy, and he he had been a terrific goaltender for them prior to getting hurt. So I I think they're I don't know that they're looking at Darcy Kemper as their number one. I think I think they go to Francois if he if he can play that. But to me, Colorado took some pretty good hits, uh, you know, through this expansion draft, and that's why that's why. So you trade you traded Graves because you could get something for him, and you thought that he'd be taken in the expansion draft. And as a result of that, you lost Graves and Donskoy, right? 
yeah. versus just letting Seattle take Graves, and then you keep Donskoy. And, and that's something that most of the teams, I think, learned this time around versus what the way things happened with the Las Vegas draft. That they got rid of two players there, and, and I thought they, they, they lost two very, very impactful players on top of not being able to sign their, their I mean, Vesna finalist goaltender, too, on top of it. Curbs, is always great stuff. Thanks. Good to talk to you, and we'll see you soon. All right. Have an awesome week, you two. Talk to you later. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. Next up, we have the fight coming your way. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Let's fight on a Monday here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Randy's challenger this morning is Elbert, who is with us. Good morning, Elbert. How are you feeling today? Good morning. Uh, feeling like a, feeling like it's a Monday morning. Feeling like it's a Monday. But do you feel like it's going to be a victorious Monday for you? It is going to be a victorious Monday for me, Michelle. All right. I love your confidence. Well, let's jump right in, okay? Question number one. The Cardinals acquired veteran lefty John Lester at the deadline from the Nationals in exchange for Lane Thomas. Lester has thrown one career no-hitter, the 18th in Red Sox history. Who was it against? The New York Yankees, the Oakland Athletics, or the Kansas City Royals? I'm going to say the New York Yankees. The Cardinals also picked up veteran lefty Jay Happ at the deadline, sending John Gant to Minnesota. Happ is a journeyman, the Cardinals becoming his eighth MLB team. Which team did he he debut with back in 2007? Was it the Philadelphia Phillies, the Toronto Blue Jays, or the Houston Astros? The Phillies. Question number three for you, Albert. In a surprise move, the Mets did not sign their 10th overall pick from the 2021 Major League Baseball draft, Kumar Rocker. Where did Rocker play his college baseball? Was it Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, or Ole Miss? Vanderbilt. And Joey Votto homered in six straight games this past week. The last time a player did this, it happened to be a Cardinal. Which Cardinal was it? Was it Matt Carpenter? Paul Goldschmidt, or Mark McGuire? What was that first option? Matt Carpenter, Paul Goldschmidt, or Mark McGuire? Matt Carpenter. All right, checking our score. Randy's coming in. While we're waiting for Randy, Albert, tell me a little bit about you. Where are you from? Born and raised in St. Louis, Michelle. Love that. And what do you do for a living? I'll pull a Danny Mac here. I'm an engineer with MSD. I love that. Smart engineer. Some brains here, Randy. Randy just walked in. Randy, say good morning to Albert. He's an engineer. Albert, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. How are you doing? Hey, great to be with you. I'm doing well, Randy. Good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. No problem. All right, Randy, ready? Ready. Question number one. The Cardinals acquired veteran lefty John Lester at the deadline from the Nationals in exchange for Lane Thomas. Lester has thrown one career no-hitter, the 18th in Red Sox history. Who was it against? Lester's no-hitter. Who was that against? I'll do the lifeline right off the bat here. Yankees, Athletics, Royals. I don't think he beat the Yankees in a no-hitter, so that narrows it down. A's and Royals. He pitched for the A's. 
Um, and they seem to get no hit a lot. Let's look at the Royals. Uh, I will go Kansas City. Cardinals also picked up veteran lefty Jay Happ at the deadline, sending John Gant to Minnesota. Happ is a journeyman, the Cardinals becoming his eighth MLB team. Which team did he debut with back in 2007? Philadelphia Phillies. And a surprise excuse me, and a surprise move, the Mets didn't sign their 10th overall pick from the 2021 Major League Baseball draft, Kumar Rocker. Mm-hmm. Where did Rocker play his college baseball? That would have been, and he might even wind up playing more there, right? Vanderbilt University. He's a Commodore. I don't think he's allowed to go back. They were talking last night on Baseball Tonight about how he could go back. Okay. Yeah. Joey Votto homered in six straight games this past week. Mm-hmm. The last time a player did this, it happened to be a Cardinal. Which Cardinal was it? Six home runs in a row. I'm going to go with Mark McGuire. All right. It was Elbert versus Randy. Who won on a Monday? Emily, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Oh, I'm so sorry, Albert. It was so close. Three to two. Randy just edged you out. And it was question number one that got you. So John Lester threw one career no-hitter, the 18th in Red Sox history, against the Kansas City Royals. Randy got that one correct. It was May 19th, 2008. So Jay Happ debuted with the Phillies back in 2007. You both got that correct. You both knew that Kumar Rocker played his college baseball at Vanderbilt. And Joey Votto homered in six straight games this week. The last time a player did this, it was a Cardinal. And it was Paul Goldschmidt back in 2019. It was Goldie. Albert, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Have an awesome rest of your day. No problem. I live to fight another day, and I'll be back. (laughs) All right. right. Thanks, Albert. (laughs) Hey, Michelle, I had uh, the great honor of playing in the Eric Westicott Foundation Golf Tournament on Saturday. He's a great guy. He was paralyzed when he was in college, and uh, he went to law school, and he's doing really well. And his classmates have held this tournament now from his classmates from Missouri State for 28 years. So we're going through the tournament playing, and there are a lot of couples getting married that are having pictures taken across the pond looking up to the art museum. Okay. And I hopped out of the car, went across the street, said, hey, who's the lucky guy? And the groomsman led me to the lucky guy. J.T. Crowderville, who is a regular listener, was the groom that I happened upon. And uh, he was getting married. It was a great day, a great-looking couple. And he said, hey, give me a shout-out on Monday. So I said, okay. So J.T. Crowderville, congratulations on getting married on Saturday. Congratulations yeah. to the happy couple. Yeah. So, so you just popped out of your golf cart and, and popped into a wedding. To, yeah, I just went over to say hi and congratulate them. A modern-day wedding crasher you are. That's exactly, but I didn't get any food out of it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, But I did move on and... I we got a birdie on the next hole, so that there was you go. Cool. That, that was a good thing. So um, a good day for you too. Par three, it was great. All right, that's the fight, and that's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN, and coming up, we've got our Olympic update. A lot of things happening this morning, and we've got it for you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman. 2021 Summer Olympic Updates. 
And before we get to the update, we want to give you the opportunity to win a couple of tickets to the Rolling Stones, September 26th at the Dome at America Center. If you want to play the game, it's going to come up at 9 o'clock in about 12 minutes from now. Text in the word STONES to 65780, STONES to 65780, and you may be a participant in our Rolling Stones ticket giveaway. Here we have a fun little game. It's going to happen soon, right? In, yes. In a few minutes. So text in now. We need three contestants in the game. So STONES, 65780, you don't want to miss this. USA, Randy. So American gymnast Jade Carey earmuffs for people who might not want to know this. She had a frightening stumble during the vault final on Sunday, and she ended up bouncing back. She won the gold medal for floor exercise on Monday with a final score of 14.366. This is the fifth medal claimed by the U.S. women's gymnastics teams in Tokyo. This is even without Simone Biles participating. Great job, Jade. All right, Jade Carey. By the way, here in St. Louis, she was only going to participate in one event, and that was going to be the bars because she was as she was the best in the bars but that was the only reason she was on the team and then Simone Biles uh, suffers from her anxiety issues Jade Carey has to do more and winds up winning gold in the floor exercise that's fantastic yes Jade Carey congratulations and all of this is happening as we mentioned without Simone Biles on the American team but we have an update there So Simone Biles put out a tweet today, and after experiencing what she called the twisties for Mm -hmm. the past few days and withdrawing from the all-around competition and three separate event files, event finals, excuse me, Simone Biles announced that she's going to be competing in tomorrow's balance beam finals at the Olympics. So we will get to see Simone Biles compete in at least one event. That's good to hear. I'm glad that she's feeling better. And wouldn't it be something if she would come back and win gold? Because she was the prohibitive favorite to win gold on the vault, right? Absolutely. And I am so glad that she's in a better mental place where she feels comfortable going out there and competing. And for so many people, they wanted to see one person and one person only in any event in the Olympics, and that's Simone Biles. So I'm happy for her that she feels well enough to compete and happy for us that we get to see her compete. And, Michelle, this will be her last competitive event ever. So... Wouldn't it be great to ever go out of competitive gymnastics with a gold? Yes, it would. So tough news coming out of the U.S. women's soccer team, Randy. At first half against the Netherlands, their quarterfinal match, their goalie, Alyssa Nair, left with a, knee, a leg injury, which was critical for them because she is unbelievable. They were playing, uh, excuse me, they were playing Canada, and the Canadians ended up beating the Americans and... They will advance to the gold medal game. Canada, Americans now competing for the bronze. It's disappointing. As dominant as that U.S. women's team has been over the years for a long, long time. And uh, losing a a 1-0 on the pitch. But if somebody's going to beat them, Canada's fine. No, we're we're America. We don't want anyone to beat us. I said if somebody is going to beat them, it's I, I would want Canada to, to be the country that beat us. I, I don't want to lose. No, I don't. I'm jingoistic. But... <laughs> That being said, if if we have to lose a game, a match, then if we lose to the Canadians, hey, if they win gold, it's almost like we won gold. Yeah, we are border buddies. Yeah, kind of. I guess I feel that way about Italy. If How America can't Rizzo, win, I won't mind. By the way, what little about? aside, uh, when the Yankees go to Toronto to play, he's not vaccinated. He's oh, not yeah. going. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Man. I wonder if he gets vaccinated before they play. I don't. I haven't checked their schedule. Well, I would think if he feels that strongly about it up to this point, why would that change his mind? Yeah, another ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's a 
That's going to be an interesting decision for yeah. them. So let's talk a little hoops, Randy. So the U.S. men's basketball team, they are the three-time reigning Olympic champions. Just a reminder, they're going to play world champion Spain in the quarterfinal of the men's tournament. That's tomorrow. And this is a matchup of teams that finished second in their respective groups at the Olympics. A lot of people thought that this might be a matchup that we saw later on Mm -hmm. in the tournament. But U.S. and Spain tomorrow. All due respect to the Spanish team, they're really good, but the U.S. should win this game. Brian Windhorst said this morning on the morning show that the second half against the Czech Republic was the best half of USA basketball in the Olympics since the 92 Dream Team, which was the greatest team of all time. So if they can play that way, they should be able to handle Spain and everybody else in their path. There is no excuse for a group of American NBA players to not win the gold medal at the Olympics. No excuse whatsoever. Are you that sold on them? Even though we saw a strong second half from them in their last appearance, there have been some issues. Are you yeah. sold that the chemistry is there and that they can beat Spain? I am now. They've got a starting lineup in place. Jason Tatum's doing great coming off the bench. Uh, Drew Holiday has been fantastic for them. He might be their most important player. We talked last week, Michelle, about having a man, and they've decided that Kevin Durant is their alpha, and they're going to him. He became the all-time leading scorer in U.S. basketball history the other day, so I am confident about them. And by the way, Spain, with uh, Pau Gasol in his 40s and Marc Gasol at like 38, and the USA just has to run them, use all 12 players and just run them. You know who we are confident in? The women's basketball team oh, for the yeah. USA competing in the do they Olympics. Ever lose? They don't lose, do they? They have never lost. So they beat France 93-82 in women's Olympic basketball play on Monday today. It was their 52nd win in a row, the US women's basketball team, dating back to the bronze medal game of the 92 Olympics. They went undefeated in group play. It wasn't the dominant form that they're used to, but they advanced to the quarterfinals. They're 3 and 0 right now and they have not lost a game in group play since women's basketball was added to the Olympics in 1976. They are our shining light in the Olympics, no doubt about it. They are the the one team, the one uh, aspect of the Olympics where the USA just never loses. So that's pretty cool. But normally they're very dominant and they mm-hmm. you haven't even though they're winning and advancing, which is all that matters. Team USA trailed 20 to 17 after the opening round against Nigeria, 30 to 28 to, to Japan and 22 19 to France. So they trailed in all three of their games. Now they rallied and ended up winning, but that's not normal for the U.S. women's basketball team. And I do not know, but I would assume that much like men's basketball, that women's basketball is becoming more of a global sport and it's just not going to be as easy as it's been for the USA in the past. But all that matters is that they're advancing. Right. Survive in advance. That's right. Great stuff, Michelle. Thank you. You got it, Randy. That is Michelle and the Olympic update here on 101 ESPN, USA, USA. And oh, by the way, the USA basketball team plays, I believe, tonight slash tomorrow in Tokyo. Yes. Oh, and we didn't mention Xander Shoffley winning gold. So congratulations to the USA golfer yes. that uh, that won the gold medal at the Olympics in Tokyo. All right, coming up, we've got Rolling Stones tickets on the line. We're going to have those for you next. So, uh, hey, you're going to have to put some faith in Randy here. Good luck with that <laughs> on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Not 
9 o'clock here in the St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Carriker and Smallman. And coming up at the bottom of the hour, the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak. You'll want to be tuned in for that. And we want you to know that 101 ESPN is your chance to win two tickets to the Rolling Stones on September 26th at the Dome at America Center. The Stones are returning to St. Louis for the first time in over a decade, and tickets are on sale now. You can also find a bonus chance to win free tickets for the Rolling Stones either at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 mobile app. Michelle, shall we give away some tickets? Let's do it. I love giving away tickets to the BLIS. This is going to be fun and exciting. We've got a little game for you. It's called... Name That Tune. We're going to do a little twist on Name That Tune. And we have three gentlemen on the line that are ready to participate. Uh, number one, we have Tony. Welcome to the show, Tony. How are you doing today? Hi, Randy and Michelle. How are you guys? We're doing great. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to give you the rules in a second. We also want to welcome Tom to 101 ESPN. Hi, Tom. Well, hello, Randy, Michelle, and Emily. Thank you very much for being with us, Tom. And our third contestant is Darren. Hi, Darren. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. Here's the way this is going to work. <laughs> Michelle, you want to lay it out? Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. We wanted to play Name That Tune because we're giving away tickets to a concert. So what we're going to do is have Randy hum a Rolling Stones song. <laughs> we're going to give... 10 seconds? Do you think 10's fair? Five might be too short? Or do you think five I is I think enough? five is good. Okay, so we're going to give five seconds to Tony first to name the song that Randy is humming. If Tony doesn't get it, we move on to Tom and to song number two, a different song, because it would be unfair for Tom yeah. to get the additional five seconds. Same thing. If Tom can't get it, it's on to Darren. So three chances for one of these guys to win tickets to the Rolling Stones. Yep. Y'all got the rules? Yes. Okay, yep. good. All right, so, everybody's set. So Tony is up first. So Tony, Randy is going to hum a song. I'm going to be counting five seconds. I'll be the first to cut you off. But if you if you know it, shout it out, okay? Okay. And gentlemen, these are all Rolling Stones songs. So just yes. so that you know. <laughs> yes, hint, okay. it's for the Rolling Stones. Okay, here we go with the first one. Three, two. Hold on one second. Oh. I, wanna, I tried to take them all on and it, and it messed up. So hold on. I got Tony now. We're good. Okay, Tony, we got you. Okay. okay, Tony is Ready? there. Tony, okay, you're good. here? Yes. Okay, here, here we go. This is the song, and I'm a really good hummer, so you should be able to get this. Three, two, one. Time. Tony, do you have a guess? Oh, God. <laughs> Painted black. No, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Tony. Thanks for playing. Randy, that was not great. I got to tell you, <laughs> that was not great. Do if you want to reveal what it was? Would that have helped? Yes. That would have. So it was? Uh, that was uh, Sympathy for the Devil. Okay, so do we have Tom? Tom, hello. Hello, I'm back. Tom is okay, back. Welcome back. All right, Tom. So Randy's going to hum a different Rolling Stones song. I'm going to count five seconds on the clock. If you know it, shout it out. Okay, ready? I guess. Okay, here we go. Three Two, one. Time. Tom, do you have a guess? I have no idea. Oh. He even gave you the do 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 and not a hum. Chiefs fans know that one. I know that one. That is? I have no idea. Tom, would you like to give a guess? You have an opportunity for a guess here. I don't even think I could guess one. Michelle, you want to guess? 
Is it Start Me Up? Yes. Okay. All right. So now it comes down to Darren. Okay. Darren, hello. Hey. All right. Darren, this is a a difficult one. (laughs) Oh, This one's difficult. Yes. Okay. All right, Darren. Five seconds on the clock. But you've got the concept of the game down, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Here we go. This is uh, this is the one. Three, two, one. Do 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 do. Do, do, do. Can't always get what you want. Oh, no. Oh, man. Darren, good guess, though. It was. Was it Beast of Burden? It was. Oh. So what do we do now? You're a beast. Uh, We got time. We can get somebody else. I'm sure somebody else has texted in. Okay. 65780. We could could come up with another. Well, let's do this. Let's... uh, I'll go as long as I can. Let me find another song here. Okay. And then can we? Do we still have all three here? Do we have Tom, Tony, and Darren, or have we gotten? Oh, we've got them all. Do we? So we go back to the top. Yeah, and then the first person to shout out. Oh, they're all on the line. Yep. Can oh, we do wow, that? Oh wow, this is a sudden death. Is... I'm stressed. Do we have them all? Yes, but okay. how would we know who is who? Uh, say we'll... your say it, and then your name. Yeah. Say the the name of the song, and then your name. Yep. Tony, Tom, Darren, do you guys all understand the assignment? Right on. All right. Okay. Now, yep. Randy, really sell it this time. We got to okay. have one of these guys win. Okay. Uh, let me come up with the song here. Okay, here we go. I'm ready. <laughs> Write down what it is so that I know. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. <laughs> so that, You'll know. It's so obvious. Well, I got come the on. last two. Okay. And you even did the doo-doo-doo. Now, is that technically humming? A doo-doo? No, it's more doo-doo. It's more sports okay. center than hum, but yeah. it's all right. Okay. Okay, so let me so see. You... I know the song. All right, all right. Got it? We've got the song. It is a classic. Yeah, just it is. So you it's guys a Rolling know. Stones classic. This is a pair of tickets to the Rolling Stones on the line. And if, gentlemen, you don't win here, you can get a bonus chance at 101 ESPN or on the 101 mobile app. All right, are we ready? Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're so enthusiastic. Yeah. Okay, we, we love the enthusiasm. Okay. Do 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 do. Well, now that feels like a tie. I I got Tony first. You got Tony first. All right, Tony. Congratulations, you won Rolling Stones tickets. It only took us four tries to have somebody name that song. And I'm I'm great at Stone songs, aren't I? Oh, the best, Randy. There you go. That's all I want to hear. Thank you, gentlemen. I want a photo finish. (laughs) That's right. We need to check the tape. But Tom and Darren, thank you so much for participating, and congratulations to Tony. Yeah, go and see the Rolling Stones. Good job, Tony. Thank you. (laughs) All right, you guys have a great day. Thank you very much for playing, and we'll do uh, something like this tomorrow. I don't know if it'll be exactly like that. We'll, We'll have Michelle hum next time. I don't know if I'd be any better. I gotta admit, I thought that would go a lot more smoothly. I did, too, because I am such a stellar musician. You would think that somebody would have gotten right up, like Tony, right off the top, three three notes, right? Well, what people don't know is sometimes we sing or and or hum during commercial breaks, you, Danny Mac, yeah. and I, mm-hmm. and you've got a great voice. So does Dan. Sneaky great oh. voice on Dan, voice of an angel. So I oh, thought that that would translate to humming and that it would be Doesn't. very easy, but humming is hard. Hey, we are so excited, Michelle and I, about heading to Canton this week for the induction of Isaac Bruce into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the class of 2020, with the enshrinement set to take place Saturday. We're headed to Canton to broadcast live Friday morning for a special expanded show from 7 to 11 a.m. You can tune in and hear us with Isaac, several other special guests, including Dick Vermeil. 
We'll hear from Tori Holt. We'll also hear from Jay Zygmunt. I believe Ricky Prohl is going to be on the show. Uh, we're efforting Kurt Warner. We should know that by the end of the day. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And a lot of uh, former Rams Greatest Show on Turf members are going to be there, and we can't wait. How lucky were we that we got to watch that team? Yeah, it was it they was amazing, so especially special. now looking back at four Hall of Famers on the offense, plus Aeneas, and maybe five Hall of Famers on the offense when Tory, hopefully Tory will get in. It's amazing that the team only won one Super Bowl, but we were lucky to see them win that one and then go to another. It was awesome. Absolutely. They provided so much joy and so much excitement to our city, and it's going to be great to relive those memories and celebrate Isaac. And those guys, uh, they all have a photo op the Hall of Famers on third on Friday. So it's at ten fifteen St. Louis. I'm right out in front of the Hall of Fame. All the former Hall of Famers, but then they're gonna get the St. Louis guys. So you're gonna have Aeneas, Isaac, Kurt, Marshall, and uh uh, Tori won't be there, but you'll have that that group. Orlando, Orlando. Orlando so, yeah. so, so you'll have those five former St. Louis Rams uh, with a photo op in front of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That'll be pretty cool. Incredible. I'm so excited to go. I've never been, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people from St. Louis there to support yeah. Isaac and to represent our city. Yeah. So we're looking forward to it. We're going to be broadcasting from the uh, Fairfield Inn in Akron on Friday morning, and a lot of people are going to stop by, and we hope that you'll tune in. Because, as we've mentioned, this is... It has a chance to be the last big St. Louis NFL event. And as much as we love Tory, Isaac spends a lot of time here. He's got his foundation here. He's in town a couple of times a year. Yeah. Isaac's just different than some of the other guys. So this might be the last biggest event that we have in St. Louis. To really celebrate St. Yeah. Louis, because I'm sure he's going to mention St. Louis and the fans right. and the mutual love between that team and specifically Isaac and the city. Yeah, so we're looking forward to it, and we hope you'll join us on Friday morning. And uh, big thanks to our friends at Schnooks because they're helping send us there, and we, we love it. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, stick around for You're Killing Me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time now for... You're Killing Me, Smalls. Randy, I know you love some drama on social media, so I have... love the social media drama. Well, I have two pretty juicy ones coming out of the hockey world for you to start off the segment. So Evander Kane's pregnant wife had some scathing Instagram posts that has got the NHL involved talking about her husband. So she... uh, accused him of being a gambling addict and said that he was throwing games to feed this addiction. So she posted all of these these things about him. I'm going to read some for you. She said, how does the NHL let a compulsive gambling addict still play when he's obviously throwing games to win money? Hmm, maybe someone needs to address this. She also wrote, can someone ask Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, how they let a player gamble on his own games, bet and win with bookies on his own games. So Vander Kane's manager has denied these allegations. He says they're serious, but they're not true. The NHL has gotten involved as well, saying that they are going to conduct a, quote, full investigation on this. And Evander Kane did file for bankruptcy in California in January. That's two years after signing a seven-year, $49 million contract with the Sharks. He was sued by a Las Vegas casino for over $500,000 in gambling debts as well. And claimed a million and a half in losses over the course of a year. 
when that happens, and I, I never really thought of it, but some, somebody in the NHL office should have thought of investigating and finding out if this guy is gambling and losing this much, what's he gambling on? Mm-hmm. We should check this out. And if we need to say it, thank you for allowing us to have such an easy time to get to the Stanley Cup Finals, Vander. <laughs> but it seems to me, and by the way, he is strongly denied all of these allegations by his estranged wife. But it seems to me that A, the league should have investigated it, and B, doesn't everybody know who Pete Rose is? Yes, we do. Yeah. If you've listened to sports radio any time in your life, I'm sure you've heard a should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame segment, and you probably know why he's not in the Hall of Fame. Right. So Evander Kane, he's got obviously issues. He's a compulsive gambler. He's he's gone in for treatment. And now his wife saying that he's bet on games. And it's his ex-wife. Yes, she she's not soon happy with ex-wife. him. Yeah, soon to be ex-wife. But uh, unless she's just really, really mad at something else, why would she say that? Well, because, she is mad. She said that she's pregnant and that he has essentially left her yeah. to raise their young child. And she's pregnant and hasn't been involved, but he's off in Europe and spending money there. So she was upset with that. But I think if you're the NHL, it's at least worthy mm-hmm. of an investigation. If if she was to make these comments publicly, you have to look into yeah, it. Because if there's going to be a divorce, then he's going to lose his income. Yes, even more than he's already lost. Right. So that would be, if there's a divorce, part of her income as well. That's why I'm wondering if if he didn't do it, why she would say it. And he asked her, by the way, to sell her wedding ring too. Yes. To, to hawk her wedding ring to pay off some of his debts. You, you know what? You said something that really just made me think I am surprised the NHL didn't look into that if he's being sued by a Vegas casino and filing for bankruptcy mm-hmm. two years after signing that deal and you know that gambling is part of the problem and once you get in debt that far there's a desperation factor there yeah. I would have looked into it you're right if I'm the NHL but I guess until an accusation is made it's kind of hard to go down that path right yeah but you would want to find out why He's losing. What's he losing all this money on? And who's he losing it with? You would want to investigate that. For sure. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, more drama out of the NHL and more social media stuff for you, Randy. This time between the Buffalo Sabres and Jack Eichel. Mm. So we know that Jack Eichel wants out of Buffalo and he hasn't gotten what he wants yet. So his agents posted a statement on Twitter about what's going on with Buffalo. They said, quote, the process is not working. As previously stated, we fully anticipated a trade by the start of the NHL free agency period after the agreed upon and prescribed period for conservative rehabilitation lapse early in June 2021. It was determined by the Sabres medical staff that a surgical procedure was required. Talking about Jack Eichel's health here. The recommendation by Jack's independent neurosurgeon, other spine specialists consulted, and the surgery Jack feels most comfortable having in order to correct a herniated disc in his neck is to proceed with artificial disc replacement surgery. A further point of concern is that our camp was initially under the impression that the Sabre specialist was in agreement with this surgery until that was no longer the case. What is being left out of discussion is that Jack would be able to play in the NHL for the start of the season pending medical clearance if he were allowed to have the surgery he desires even as of this date. Repeated requests have been made to the Sabres since early June to no avail. The process is stopping Jack from playing in the NHL and it is not working. And this is from his agents, Peter Fish and Peter Donatelli. And if he has the surgery against the wishes of the team, that could violate his contract. He doesn't want to play without the surgery because he doesn't feel safe 
with his health. The team doesn't feel like the surgery would be safe, and they want to go the rehab route. And if you're another team and he's requested a trade, even if you see everything, do you feel comfortable with a disc replacement? Trading for a guy who has, what, seven years left at $10 million a year, do you, do you want to trade for a guy who has that sort of contract remaining and may not be able to play for you? I do not. The no. same reason I wouldn't necessarily be all in on someone like Vladimir Tarasenko yeah. when there's a high price tag and a major health question mark. Why would you want to roll the dice? Now, both of them could wind up having a completely healthy season and go on to be very productive for you, but it is quite the gamble. This is a conundrum for the NHL because it doesn't appear that either side is backing down. The Sabres, the, the price tag for Eichel is as if he were healthy and they don't want him to have the surgery. And they don't think the surgery is safe. He says it's not safe to play unless he has the surgery. Correct. So I don't know how they come up with an agreement in which he plays. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't either. It seems like both sides have really dug in yep. here and they're at an impasse. Earlier in the show, we talked about Trevor Story being unhappy because he didn't get moved by the Rockies at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And I gave you a Tioli that the Rockies were the worst run organization in sports. Throughout the show, we've thrown the Lions in that mix. And I'm throwing Buffalo in there, Ten too. years in a row without the playoffs. They've been through, I think, seven coaches in those 10 years. They thought that Ryan O'Reilly didn't like playing anymore, and they thought that he kind of quit. He was a problem in the locker room. Yeah, come on. Although they traded Evander Kane, too, so at least they have that going for him. But they're kind of the Rockies of the NHL, no? That they've had star guys that don't want to play there and that have very publicly taken their stance out there against the teams. Trevor Story, I'm confused. I don't know what's happening. Nolan Arnauto publicly, they didn't make a commitment to winning the way that that they promised. Ryan O'Reilly and now Jack Eichel with Buffalo. There's a lot of parallels there. The ineptness of the two organizations saps the passion from really passionate players. And that's a shame. A shame, yeah. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, one guy who still has passion, Randy, is Chris Paul. So he has formally declined the $44 million player option on his contract for next season. But both Chris Paul and the Suns are motivated to negotiate a new deal once talks can begin. And that's at 6 o'clock Eastern, so 5 o'clock Central today. I wonder if he gets that AAV. Does he get $44 million over multiple years like he was getting for this coming year? Obviously... His agent knows that this is a gamble, that it's not a gamble, that this is something that is worth doing financially for Chris Paul. But does he get 80 million or 76 million over two rather than 88 over two? Or do they give him a three year deal? What's it wind up being? He's just going to wind up with much more guaranteed money. Right. He's 36. So I could see three years. Yeah. Right. Uh, Especially coming off a finals run. He's an 11 time all star. He averaged 16.4 points points on 49.9% shooting this season, 8.9 assists and 1.4 steals per game. And he became a leader in that locker room too with a really, really young team. They needed a guy like him to run the ship and he did a great job both in the locker room and on the court. So he'll wind up being a Phoenix Sun. It's just a matter of how much money he's going to get. Yeah, when he was out, everyone on that team talked about winning for Chris Paul and what a force he has been in turning that team around and helping these young guys develop on that team. So, yeah, you're right. It's not a matter of if he'll be back. It's just at what cost. And he's clearly a huge piece of the puzzle. But 
gosh, wouldn't it be nice to just decline $44 million? Oh, man. <laughs> just, eh, you know what, let's go ahead and decline that. We'll get more. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing that NBA players, he and Kawhi both, because Kawhi did turn down 36, right? And he thinks, he says he's going to resign, and he might wind up getting $250 million from the from the Clippers next year. It was 36 for Kawhi. Yeah. You're killing me, Small. And finally, Randy, we mentioned it earlier, but I want to mention it again. Simone Biles will be competing in Tuesday's balance beam final at the Olympic Games. She sent a tweet saying that she was going to compete. This is after withdrawing from the all-around competition and three event finals. So for those who are very excited to see Simone Biles, she will be competing tomorrow. That's great to hear, and I, I would love to see her go out on top with what is arguably, maybe not even arguably, her best event she was the prohibitive favorite to win gold before all of this happened, and hopefully she does win gold tomorrow. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up, your Cardinal President of Baseball Operations, John Mozalock, with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. As Emily mentioned, the Cardinals took two of three over the weekend from the Twins. That following a hectic and extremely busy, I'm sure, for John Mozeliak trade deadline period. And the Cardinals president of baseball operations joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Mo, thanks for your time this morning. How are you doing? I'm well. Good morning. Well, Mo, before we get into the moves that you made with the Cardinals, I wanted to ask you about the trade deadline as a whole. A lot of people were calling this the craziest trade deadline ever, and you were in the eye of the storm. What was it like for you to watch so many transaction ha- transactions happening with so many big-name players? You know, I think the interesting part of this deadline was that there were just – it was such a seller's market because there were so many teams that were, you know, very active, trying to add players, and – I mean, as you saw, like like some of the players moved, especially on the sort of like elite end of the pitching side, it was really like a lot of prospects were being moved. Historically, over the last few years, you just really haven't seen like big name prospects being traded at the deadline. And this year you saw a major return for some of these uh, elite pitchers. And so like, you know, as we entered the market, we were certainly looking for, for arms. Um, obviously, we were our goal was to stabilize our rotation and as we started dipping our toe on, on that side of the swimming pool, we realized we might drown. So, um, you know, we, we, we tried to avoid making the type of, of trade that, you know, might create some sort of paralysis for us down the road. And, uh, you know, ultimately we added two veteran pitchers. Um, obviously they're looking for a, a fresh start, but, you know, I do think those types of guys like Hap and, Lester can help stabilize our, our rotation. And then, you know, ultimately getting Flaherty and, and Miles back, I think just the overall depth of arms and the experience will be something that we benefit from. And hopefully we can get going and, and get on a little run. Mo, what's the, what's the ultimate goal, though, with these two? Obviously, you want to stabilize your rotation in the short term, but you do have Flaherty and Michaelis coming back. Is there a sense of needing to protect those guys or protect some of your younger pitchers like Oviedo as well? Sure. I mean, a couple things go into it. Um, you know, Kim has, has dealt with some injuries throughout the, the summer, um, didn't want to find ourselves getting short again, and then didn't want to have to just keep throwing Oviedo up here when, you know, he's he's still in a very much a developmental stage of his career. And then even somebody like Woody, when we went into the season, we saw Woody as someone that was going to give us spot starts from time to time, maybe add some depth in our bullpen. But the way we've had to use him, 
I just think both Woody and Oviedo, we're, we're getting the short end of the stick as far as their development. And they're both young, and they're both in a, part, a place in their career where you know, pitching it consistently and, and growing as pitchers is probably the most important thing for them on an individual standpoint, yet we were having a, a need for them because we, we, we were basically short. So early last week when Mike Rizzo said the only untouchable we have is Soto, I told Michelle that my dream scenario was to get the two guys that the Dodgers wound up with. I know, Mo, that you wanted to protect your future and uh, you're insistent upon that. But did you engage the Nationals at all on Scherzer and Turner? You know, it's always awkward for me to get into like who I spoke with, what we spoke about and why, because that just opens up a, a lot of questions. But needless to say, you know, we spoke with every team. And um, that's our responsibility. And we were looking at all different ways to try to improve, um, you know, but simply said, there's always a cost to those types of conversations. And, um, you know, I think we were very thorough in what we went through over the last couple of weeks. But, um, you know, I think we ended up on a place where we feel comfortable with and we don't think we gave up much for our future in doing so. And ultimately, your job is not to make Randy Carricker's dreams come true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> I do try to keep people happy, but I know I can't keep your side happy all the time. <laughs> well, Mo, I know heading into the season, you said you wanted to evaluate certain players. So let's take a look at that while also looking t- towards the future. Harrison Bader has been great since he returned from injury. We know what a healthy Tyler O'Neill looks like, and Dylan Carlson has certainly shown positive signs for the future. There's been a lot of players who have cycled through the outfield over the past few years, but are you confident in those three players that you found some anchors for your outfield in the future? I think so. Um, you know, the one unfortunate part about this season is, is is there's been a lot of injuries in that outfield. And so we haven't really seen them play together um, for majority of the season. But having said that, when they are playing together, it's what we envisioned. Um, you know, clearly Bader's, you know, an elite defender. And as his bat has matured at this level, you're starting to see why we're excited about him. So, I mean, overall, very pleased with the outfield. But understand that, you know, ultimately you've got to play the whole season. And so... You know, that was what we envisioned as we went into 2021. It hasn't worked out that way, but, you know, clearly we think all three are trending in the right direction. Another guy, Mo, that you wanted to get some eyes on was Andrew Kisner. How difficult has it been to fully evaluate him and what his future can be while you still have Yadier Molina playing at such a high level? Well, uh, very difficult, right? I mean, he's just, he doesn't play much, so it's, it's you know, unfortunate. I spoke with him uh couple weeks ago and you know he is eyeing winter ball because he knows he needs at bats he knows he needs to be playing he's at a point in his career too where his development is still very real and so we'll see how um he does in winter ball but but clearly you know at some point you got to find balance between yadi's everyday playing time and and uh whoever that backup is and that's something we've talked about for for years but it's it's something that you know we understand and, and ultimately uh you know, hopefully we can work through. But, you know, clearly he hasn't gotten that opportunity. And, Mo, the old adage is, is that father time is undefeated. And Yachty, as great as he's been, he this year at least, has, has faded a little bit. I, I understand deference to him because he he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But at the same time, is there a need to get that next guy ready? Well, I think so in the sense of, like, in terms of planning. But I will say, like, you know, when you look at our minor league system right now with somebody like Herrera, you know, he's probably ultimately the long-term future of this organization. But in the meantime, you still want to be giving opportunities. And, and when you're someone like Andrew Kisner, 
at some point, are you better off maybe being back in Memphis playing every day, or are you better off riding the bench? And, I mean, you guys have heard me talk over the years about young players that come up here and just sit. It's not ideal for them. And, and so ultimately, you're trying to find that balance. But having said that, we've been a little bit hand-tied on what was going down in Memphis as well. So at some point, you know, we're going to have to think about, you know, what type of backup do we want? And are we better off having Kisner develop somewhere or is it okay if he's okay in that role? I think winter ball will be key for him because, again, he'll get every day at bats. Mo, you mentioned the starting outfielders uh, in reference to Michelle's question, and you wanted to evaluate all of your outfielders this year. Obviously, you have evaluated Lane Thomas, but what about Austin Dean and Williams? Have you had enough of a look at them to evaluate those two? I don't think we have on Dean. Um, you know, unfortunately, broke had his handmate broken, and so therefore, you know, he's missed a ton of time. Mm-hmm. So I, I am hopeful that, that he'll be competing at a higher level in the next couple of weeks. And so maybe, you know, there's six weeks or seven weeks left in the season where we can salvage and see what we have there. I think in, in Williams case, obviously we were hopeful that when he came to the big leagues, he'd be more productive than he was. And unfortunately it just hasn't worked out that way. So I think from, from his standpoint, I think we understand what we have there, but, um, you know, he has an incredible amount of power, but you got to put the ball in play. And, um, you know, that's just something that he struggled with at the big league level. I want to ask about your bench, because in this day and age in baseball, benches, we don't see those Gerald Perry, Abraham Nunez, Miguel Cairo type guys anymore. And you and, and Mr. DeWitt talk a lot about competitive advantage. And, and I've thought this. I want to Obviously, you've thought about it. I want to get your reaction. Would it be worth it to spend three or four extra million dollars to have those professional bench players on the bench rather than rookies? Because like we said with Kisner, it's very difficult for a young player to, to do that job. No, it is hard. And it's, it's, it depends, you know, you ask Kisner where he'd rather be. And, (laughs) you know, we're, we know what that answer looks like. I think when you look at, at bench players, when you're out in the, in the free agent market, a lot of guys aren't looking for 150 at-bats or 200 at-bats. They're looking for everyday playing time. Um, I don't think people are like just admit that they're looking for that backup role. And when you think about like bench, I mean, we were sort of looking at like Matt Carpenter, someone that would give us that veteran presence off the bench. But even he hasn't you know, played as well as we had hoped given the fact that he was used to being an everyday player. So it's not just spending, Randy. It's really about having a mindset of accepting that role. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mo, Jack Flaherty made his first rehab start. It looks like he and Miles Michaelis will return soon. Do you have any sort of timetable on when they're expected back? Well, um, you know, Jack threw yesterday, and he was up to, I think, somewhere north of 50 pitches. So, you know, ultimately he's probably going to need about at least two more rehab starts before you could expect him back at the big leagues, but it might be three. And then Miles goes tomorrow, probably looking at at least one or two more for him as well. So you're looking at probably another 10 to 15 days, somewhere in there. And uh, I want to ask about this season, because even if the Cardinals play 750 ball, it's going to be hard to catch the Brewers, realistically speaking. Give me your best case scenario, Mo. If when we get to the end of September, what's the best case scenario for this team? Well, it would be to sneak into the wild card. Really, I mean, I think that's that's the most realistic. I mean, obviously, you don't want to say you're not trying to chase someone right now, but 
if you're looking at the you know best case and most realistic, it would be to you know get at least a, a one game playoff and see where you go. Um, but you know, I, I think if you had Jack Flaherty starting that game, you'd feel pretty good about your chances. And I, I want to end on this note because you mentioned basically the day after Jack got hurt that it was a gut punch, and I believe the club was nine and two in the eleven starts that he has made. He had made then in the two months following June and July. If you have that nine and two, you're in the race. Uh, I'm somebody who believes that the most important guy on your team is the number one starter. It is amazing to think if he could have gone nine and two or the team could have gone nine and two in those two months, how different things would have been. Yeah, I I actually don't look at it that way. I I agree with your point. I I would have been happy with even just like 500 out of that type of pitcher. I think when you combine that and losing Bader in the same week is really what hurt. And then if you think back to that trip, we also lost Kim for a couple starts. So it really was almost like the aggregate of injuries at that time. And to me, losing Bader was like one of the biggest losses because, you know, that's an everyday player. He was bringing a lot of energy to our club at that point. And so losing Jack and Mr. Bader in that time frame, I think was really when I refer to the gut punch is that because it, that's a lot to overcome for a club and it puts so much more pressure on your everyday club to try to make up for it. And, and I think we saw that. Well, we always appreciate you taking time with us. Thanks so much. And go get them against Atlanta this week. We'll certainly try. You guys be well. You too. Take care. That is the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak on 101 ESPN. So he did talk to uh, every team. And obviously, we know Mo listens to the show. So he he was talking to Mo, to Mike Rizzo. Then he just got word. He said, uh, Rizzo said, hey, I'd love to send Scherzer your way, but Scherzer's wife wants to go to the coast. So sorry, we can't do it. And he said, but what am I going to tell Randy Carricker? <laughs> your dreams are dashed, big boy. <laughs> Unfortunately, (laughs) we're going to cross things over with Danny Mac. The Danny Mac show with BK is coming up on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Danny Mac Show with BK coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. Danny had a busy weekend with the Cardinals taking on the Twins. Good to see you. Great to see you guys. It was a great weekend. Um, I'll tell you what, if you loved catchers, this was your weekend mm-hmm. because you got the Ted Simmons statue and uh, number retirement long Long overdue, and uh, now in a month from now, he'll go into the Hall of Fame. A little over four weeks, I think it is. And then you had Yachty uh, passing his buddy Albert Pujols yesterday on the all-time Cardinals hits list. So a uh, pretty significant weekend for Cardinal catchers here in uh, St. Louis. I think about 2,000 starts behind the plate. What what his knees must be like? Oh. I You know, I was thinking about his body, his hands. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the guy that really... Um, I think opened my eyes more than ever about the the hands of a catcher was working with Tim McCarver. Mm-hmm. And he would say, you know, those are your tools. And he said, I never felt essentially where I had full strength in my hands for an entire year to grab a bat and to swing a bat. He said, I was always just kind of compromised with it. And um, he, if you look at Tim's left hand, his fingers are going like eight different directions and, you know, they're mm-hmm. a mess. And I think about uh, this day and age where you have Jordan Hicks, 
and Gallegos and uh, Cabrera and Reyes. And these guys not only throw 95 or above, but they're throwing with great movement and Mm -hmm. sink. And it takes just one time if you're a catcher where ball just kind of sinks a little bit on you and cuts and it catches your thumb and how loose the cartilage must be in that portion of his hand. Now, there are ways to have new gloves and protective stuff that goes kind of inside it to to help you with that. But still, you think about then trying to grab a bat and swing it. It's amazing. And 2,000 starts, not just 2,000 games, but 2,000 starts. That's 2,000 times Tony La Russa, Mike Matheny, or Mike Schilt said, this is our best chance to win with him at catcher. That is amazing. That is incredible. I never even thought about that with the the pain you probably feel in your hands all the time. Yes. And then he can go out there and grip a bat and do what he can do. Especially, so think of it between like the thumb and your, your forefinger. Yeah. And that area of how loose that gets. Like I've talked to catchers about it and they're like, oh yeah, I mean, I've got loose cartilage. It'll probably always be loose the rest of my life. And that's what I deal with. I, I mean, I see it all the time with Yachty. For instance, I think it was during the Chicago series, and I believe it was Reyes on the mound. It was towards the end of the game. And I, having done just so many of Yachty's games, you know when he's a little dinged up, and you know when he is kind of like he takes a foul ball and just says, come on, let's go. I'm, I'm all right. Mm-hmm. And this was at the end of that game, and he kind of kicked at the dirt. He's like preparing the dirt a little bit. That's his way of like, okay, I need a breather. Where most guys, the the umpire goes out, wipes the 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 batters uh, or the uh, home plate and maybe steps out in front. I mean, that's when you know. And I, I think he's been dealing with something there for since that time. But you wouldn't know it because he mm-hmm. plays every single day. One thing that uh, if you are a veteran observer of John Mozeliak, one thing you learn is that you need to read between the lines. And essentially, what John Mozeliak said on Friday and reiterated to us today is that they they would love to have their team go on a run, but what they want to do is protect their kids for next year. This year, it's just not realistic. I'm saying this. He didn't say it, but I'm reading between the lines. Just not realistic to think that they're going to be a World Series team anyway. So you maintain your kids. You protect your young pitchers like Oviedo. KK's a little bit banged up. Flaherty and Michaelis are coming back. All you're doing is just trying to finish at 500, hope you can do that, and then gear up for 2022 circumstances worked against the Cardinals in 2021 well I, I do think the Flaherty injury was massive yep I Michaelis injury was massive if you got those guys throwing every fifth day say you win just half of those games that's what he said yeah you mm-hmm. know I didn't hear it but that's what he said yeah, okay so say for Flaherty yeah say you win half those games it's a different story yeah. uh I know he's very high on Bader and that injury he was hurt couple times maybe, Mm -hmm. and O'Neal was on. I mean, so we can make the excuses. It just wasn't a season that added up, at least at this point, to them catching Milwaukee. Now, you do have a lot of head-to-head. Those would be fun games to watch. Um, I would think that you're probably, at least from my point of view, I'm gearing towards the wild card. I think that you have to look at it that way. I also think I'm protecting Johan Oviedo. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe that this is important for him to go down and get seasoning. I mean, the last year and a half, he probably shouldn't have been here, but here he is because you needed innings. And I was wrong about this season. I thought they would be protected pitching-wise, and it just it just wasn't enough. Um, now, we still have two months to go. It's not all done, and I'm, I don't think it's done. I'm looking forward to seeing what these guys can do because I do think it's better than what you've been getting. And it's veterans, and it's a fresher start. And, and you know, call me a homer, that's fine. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but I do think they're going to get better starts and a chance to stay in those games. 
Um, the schedule is conducive in August to win some games, too. So you got to hang around, make the thing interesting, and see what happens. You mentioned how high he was on Harrison Bader. He specifically talked about that. When oh, Rand- did he really? When Randy asked him about losing Jack Flaherty, he goes, you have to remember, we lost Harrison Bader at that same time, which was very impactful for this team because he's supposed to play every day. There was, um, let's see, I think it's his best month in July. And it'd be tough to have that kind of month again, Michelle. I mean, he was one of nine guys with an OPS of nine thousand of uh, over a thousand. Wow! So he had a hell of a month. And I also think it just the Bader injury also had a residual effect to where you had to play Dylan Carlson in center, Tommy Edmond in right, yeah. And you're moving Tommy Edmond from second base, which now you're playing Carpenter there every day, and it's just not a, as good a defensive club. So I. I he settles everything down defensively and he has made the adjustment offensively where he's a better player. The one thing I think we have learned about with this team this season is that the outfield, I'm okay with it. I I'm okay with O'Neill Bader and Carlson going forward. I would love to see them go out and get an experienced left-handed bat outfielder mm-hmm. coming into next season. There's a lot of things and it's kind of like we're talking like the season has ended, which it hasn't, but there's a lot of things they can do with money coming off the books. And I think when you have a fresh CBA, and I do anticipate that happening one way or another, whether it's just, hey, we're going to move this thing by a year and keep working on the problems we have or get a five-year agreement, but get a CBA in place, which then allows the team to know you're going to have 81 home dates. You're getting your your groups in there, which they couldn't get, which is four to 6,000 people a game. Uh, your season ticket base gets, I mean, everything just kind of gets settled going into next year. But as it pertains to the product on the field, you know, they can make, they can do some damage with that and go out and make an impact. So we'll see if they do. What do we have coming up on the Danny Mac show? Bo Hart. Bo Hart will be in town tomorrow, and Bo Hart will be my uh, guest in BK's coming up uh, next hour. I'm a big fan of Bo Hart, obviously, who wasn't at that time when he splashed onto the major league scene, but he's a really good dude. And so uh, catch up with Bo and find out what's going on now. Looking forward to that. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That is Danny Mack coming up at the top of the hour. Great job today by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle, this was a great Monday. It was, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, ma'am. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.